1: Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I am your co-host, Andy Hart. And with me, as always, is your co-host, Arthur Stone. Say hi, Art. Art? Oh,
2: oh! is it all right for me to say hi now?
1: Yeah, jump in here.
2: Oh, thank you for the stage directions.
1: The Blunkflunkers want to talk to the you. Blunk Flunkers?
2: Yeah. <laughs> We're changing the name again. Hey, Bunkers, good to hear you. I can hear you. I can hear and read all your thoughts and I can read your minds. Wow. I can read your thoughts. I can read your minds. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> hey, hey. Whose mind did you just catch? Oh, boy. Probably got Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, hey, but b- hey, Art. Um, hey, what's up, dude? You know, thanks for being here uh, today. Well, on this episode. I kind of don't have a choice. Um, you know, do you. Um, I know that you're like sort of a. Um, you're a puzzle solver, right? You kind of like to figure things out. Oh, I love puzzles. You
2: put a puzzle in front of me and I'll solve it. Yeah. You're yeah, a, baby. You're a me. You're a cuber, huh? I'm a, I'm a former Rubik's cuber. I don't consider myself a cuber any longer. Why? Because I barely solve it. I only solve maybe like once or twice a week now. I used to practice every day for like a half hour every day. And I got good. I was like, I could do 20 seconds. I could solve this fucking thing in 20 seconds. But now I do maybe like once or twice a week when I remember or I'm fidgeting. So I don't really consider myself a cuber anymore. Okay? Drop that from my canon. Drop that from my lore. Take it off of my wiki feet page. Take it off from my Wikipedia entry. Take it off from my bunker wiki entry. Okay? Drop that. I still have like 10 fucking Rubik's Cubes. Okay. But I don't really solve them as much as I used to.
1: Okay? Arthur Stone was an American Cuber. That's
2: right. <laughs> Change all the tents.
1: Yeah. But I guess that means you're probably... But I do... I mean, I like a puzzle, don't you? You need to figure something out because you need an outlet, right?
2: Telling me, boy, oh, my boy. laptop's dying. I need an outlet.
1: Boy, oh boy, are you in luck for today? Because we got a real, we got a real mystery, an unsolved mystery. Whoa, even. Whoa,
2: dude! A true on crime, true, unsolved
1: mystery. True, true crime, unsolved mystery here. Wow! If it can so be called, true crime. Um, and you're gonna, you're gonna go on this journey with me. I'm gonna teach you all about the mysterious death. Of Ray Rivera. Whoa. Okay. And hey, Art. Hey. If you like this topic. Okay. We'll see. Okay, yeah, we'll see. Well, you know who you can thank? Who? One of our bunk funkers. Oh my
2: goodness, this was suggested by one of our listeners. This was
1: suggested by one of our bunk funkers. Yeah. Anna from Spain. Ana, Ana de, de España. Thank you, Anna. Uh Anna's a long time Uh, and I think. We think multi-episode su- suggester. So thank you, Anna. Thank you, Anna. Um, now, if you're like Art and you used to cube and you don't have any puzzles to solve and you're ready to dig into this mystery, yeah, what you can do is you can take a leap of faith Wow! and look at the show notes and fast forward right ahead to where all that mysterious goodness begins. Because, but first... Art and I got to tell you how we ended up in the bunker today, because just like every week, we once again got captured by Mr. Bunker.
2: Yeah. And I don't want to say this one is in 100% your fault, Andy, but it kind of is. I look, I tried, you know, I I
1: just want to say up front at the Mm -hmm. top here, Ort and Beefers. Mm -hmm. Communication is a two way street. It takes two to tango in terms of talking to each other. Yeah, but with you, sometimes it feels like your whole street has
2: special permits all over the place. Well, it does have Permit a lot of parking.
1: signs. And yes, there are frequent street sweepings and you have to move and be on different sides of the street at different times Right, right.
2: If it's snowing, you have to park in a different area. Yeah. And yeah.
1: yeah, it's a well-controlled street. I have a very engaged local government. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Try, trying to communicate with the alderman of, who manages
2: your communication street is, uh, is difficult at best. I tried to get you into Warhammer Four k that's right you've been interested in it you thought oh you know what art knows a lot about it a lot of the bunk funkers seem to know a lot about it i'd like to get more interested in it. i'm sending you these funny youtube videos that you can look up where alex they they fucking superimpose alex jones in as as various they take audio from alex jones and put it into 40k means which it like is unbelievable how well it matches up Yeah, him screaming about fucking interdimensional goblins and bloodthirsty set, like, you know, like fucking killers and all these creatures and aliens and whatever. And demons, it lines up perfectly with the 40 K universe. They're the best memes. Yeah.
1: And you wanted to know more about it. Yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't know that much about the Warhammer universe. I know a little bit about the, like the old, the old world, Mm -hmm. but I don't know anything about 40 K. And I know that you're a, a bit of a lore master. I wouldn't even say in, that. In fact, I, you know, you've described yourself as being probably one of the most knowledgeable people on 40k lore in history. I've read
2: every Horace Heresy book. I know everything about 30k to 40k. I know everything about how the everything that happened. I know all of it. Yeah, and I definitely know what the current edition is of the game, and I'm. I don't need to say it, but like,
1: you know. If you know it tweet at us and Art will know if you know I'll it. I like not. it and confirm it. Yeah, cuz I know it. Yeah, Art knows it. So he's kind of like the lore master. Yeah. Uh, he knows everything about the Warhammer universe. And right. I said, "Art, will you help me will you help me learn more about this?" And he starts talking about 40K, 40K right. and like how how expensive it is and you got to, you know, It is it's very expensive. These little
2: miniatures and models cost a lot of money. You can put down an easy 150 bucks might get you a starter kit or army. Um, you know, and in and, and and there's a lot of very interesting and fun factions to play in the game. You know, I personally lean towards most of the Xenos species. I don't like the um I don't like the humans. I don't really want to play them. I don't want to play the Space Marines. Um, I don't care about all the goofy little chapters and their silly little colors. And I hate how every fucking game that comes out is always about the space marines. And I hate how all the resources go into the space marines when you got all these dope aliens that you could play, right? I want to play aliens. I want to play the fucking crazy as the aliens. Give me a game where I get to play as the Tyranids and I fucking suck the biomass out of fucking various planets and I gobble up the whole world. And I play as a hive mind. That's dope. I want to play that.
1: Yeah. And see, bunkfuckers, you can probably tell that this- Your four, eyes glazed over as 40, I said. 40K that. is some sort of a game. I thought it was like an investment strategy. And so through, again, <laughs> this is a communication error. <laughs> in some ways it is. So I took, I took <laughs> You're all- took are investing in these
2: expensive fucking stupid models.
1: Yeah, it's an investment. <laughs> yeah. So I took my I took my life savings. Right. And I invested it in what I thought was the right thing to do. I invested in Special K cereal. And I bought as many boxes of Special K as I could with my life savings. <laughs> I got like 50 boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With my wow. life savings.
3: Wow. <laughs> Maybe it's good that you
2: didn't get involved in Warhammer 40K because you you would definitely be the guy who shows up to the table and being like, yeah, this paper, this stapler is a fucking like Imperial Guard
1: tank. <laughs> just pretend. Use what you got. Use, Use your you imagination. Got. So I bought all these boxes of fucking special case cereal. Yeah. And I bring them over to Art's Place and I'm like, right. hey, I'm ready mm-hmm. to start this journey. And he starts going like, oh, you fucking idiot, mm-hmm. you stupid dumbass. What the fuck is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You bought a bunch of breakfast cereal. Right. You don't understand what the hell I'm saying. Don't you ever listen. You're so stupid. Right. You open your fucking ears. Have right. you ever considered getting your ears cleaned? You have, you you stupid have two more. ears
2: and one mouth for a reason.
1: You seem to, you, you, you might as well have four mouths and no ears because you never shut the fuck up. So Art's going real hard at me. And I'm like... <laughs> You tell me this cereal's not gonna be worth anything? I thought this was the stock tip of the century. I thought I was gonna make Boku books.
2: Not making shit, my man.
1: Cereal expires.
2: It ain't worth shit. And you <laughs> got one of the worst kinds.
1: So I start fucking panicking. You as you should. Because that money had to put me and my kid and my wife through college.
0: All three of you?
1: <laughs> all of you needed college degrees. all degrees. Well, you had always planned
2: that you wanted to have a fun, like, goofy movie style. You all movie wanted to two, go to college together. Where you're going to college at the same time as your kid.
1: Yeah, it's sort of like back to school with Ronnie right. Dangerfield. Right.
2: And where you and your kid will end up having some kind of awesome, like, skateboarding BMX adventure where he'll win the girl of his dreams. And you'll finally succeed in, like, you know, doing whatever it is you fucking need to accomplish in your goofy life.
1: Doesn't it sound like a good movie? But it would be my life that they could make a movie off of after. Right. I could sell that story. And I play the Polly Shore
2: character who's like, Whoa, the leaning tower of Cheesa. Whoa, yummy. Like, that's me. I'm like your son's best friend. I'm like fucking goofy and cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, Art keeps calling him the yummy, the leaning tower of Cheesa, and saying how yummy he is. And then he starts licking him. <laughs> it's weird. So I got all this cereal. Right.
2: You've got lots of cereal. And I'm freaking
1: out. I'm like, I'm fucked.
2: Yeah. You immediately left my house.
1: Yeah. So I take, so I. Sweating. I start doing More than usual. More than usual. I start doing some research. Oh, you did? Because I got to find somebody who can take this cereal, who will buy this cereal.
2: Now you're me. trying to fence this fucking cereal that you bought. I got
1: to, I got to not, yeah, not lose money on this cereal. And not take a loss. Yeah. I got to not lose money on this cereal. So I'm calling people like 40 calls a day Uh-huh. and I'm like, who, who, fuck, you busted my balls here, Jewel Osco. What do you mean you won't take a loose cereal? I opened a you few opened of the boxes. Them all? I opened a few of the boxes because I got hungry. A few? A few. <laughs> Just a little bit here and there so you can't tell. Why would you open multiple? Because I was hungry. But you can't eat one whole box. That's for profit down the tubes. I can still fake it. All I got to do is just tape the top of the box. Yeah, okay. And you put it in the contract. You say, "Oh." Nobody's going to notice as is.
2: Nobody <laughs> Nobody's going to notice a handful here,
1: a handful there. No, no, no. They would notice if I ate one whole box cuz then I can only sell 49 boxes of special okay. K, not the whole lot of 50. Uh, but if I take a little bit from each one, they'll never know. Right.
2: Right. So what was your strategy, Mister Fucking Moneybags, Mister Closer?
1: Well, I'm telling him, I'm like ABC. Hey. I'm like, hey, I did all the work for you. I got this. <laughs> I got this special K. I'm ready so you're to saying deliver. there's a finder's fee. I'm ready to deliver this. You got to make your margins on the deal. I'm like, you could be buying this wholesale, but I'm selling it to you retail. Another key point that I did not go to a wholesaler to buy this cereal. I just went into a grocery store. <laughs> yeah, so you paid for all the markups. Yeah, yeah, so I it wasn't on sale. Margin. No. But I told, them, I told them that I would be willing also to sign these boxes as any celebrity so that it could be celebrity autographed boxes of Special K wow. that they could then sell at a markup. There That's no, cool. There were no takers. So I just reverted to saying that I fucked up
3: and that I needed... I've been a
1: good patron of the grocery stores my entire life. But not help. specifically Jewel Osco. I need their help now. I was on a long call with Jewel Osco. <laughs> I need their help more than ever.
2: I've been to a lot of Dominics. Obviously, we know what happened there.
1: <laughs> I promise buying these for me won't ensure the same fate for you. So finally, after all these phone Even calls. Even though
2: famously you've gone on record to say how much you hate grocery shopping. Oh,
1: I do hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking sucks. Going to the store. Just bringing my groceries when I want them. So... I finally found a cereal broker that was willing to play ball. And I don't know much about the world of cereal brokerage, but this guy, his name was Mr. Branner. Oh, he uh, sounds legit. Yeah, he's legit. He's, he's on Bre- brand. The, yeah, yeah, he was. So he's got this cereal brokerage where he's buying and selling cereal all day long. He's selling loose cereals. He's selling, he's selling loose cereals, hard cereals, soft cereals, uh cold cereals, hot cereals. Wow. He's selling all the cereals.
2: So he's got like cream of rice, hot oatmeal, uh he's got instant oatmeal, rolled oats, steel cut oats, quick oats, um Reese's Puffs, Lucky Charm, Whoa Raisin Brand. Old Raisin school Brand cookie, clusters, crisp. cookie crisp. The old school now discontinued Oreo cereal mm-hmm. that was fucking amazing. Yep. He's got that. Honey schmacks.
1: Honey schmacks. Honey, Honey Smacks, Honey Smacks, Honey Max, Honey Max, Honey, Honey Bunches. He's got on brands, off brands. Wow. Oops, all berries. Yeah.
3: Oops. <laughs> At least you could have bought a sexy cereal like that.
1: Cap Captain Crunch's stepmom's. Oops. <laughs> all these berries. What are you doing, step? All these berries are in the washing
3: machine. <laughs> what are you doing step captain -captain. oops
2: oops all my berries are out oops step captain fucks you while his he accidentally leaves his berries out now all his stuff is berries title of the porn yeah
1: so in between watching that pornographic film. Right. I was talking to Mr. Branner. How f- is he? Uh, he's very strange. Really? Had a real gruff voice. Really? Um, and he's super into cereal. Really? Like, too into cereal. Even for you? Yeah, even for me. I'm like, okay. You're only like a medium cereal guy. Like, I felt like he has a sexual attraction to cereal. Whoa. Okay. And that, you know, the like that he's sexually attracted to the... Honey Nut Cheerios B. Yeah, he's getting his he's
2: He's Honey Nutting it off. He's Honey Nutting off to these
1: cereals. Yeah. I think he's got one of those things where he likes to dip his genitals into like... Well, everybody likes the Honey Nut Cheerios B. It's cute. He's adorable. But But I feel like he's got some kind of like cylinder full of cereal and he dips his genitals into it.
2: You just got that hunch from him, <laughs> just from ch- chatting with him on the phone. Yeah, you you came up with that theory. Yeah, it's wow, sort of, it's sort of like a fleshlight. How but it's introspective full of cereal. you are! You're so
3: intuitive. It's sort of like a it's sort of like a fleshlight, but it's full of cereal.
1: Okay, like cinnamon toast crunch, like
3: those
2: old school uh, cereal bars that I think are discontinued because they were disgusting. Where it was like cereal and then like some kind of milk,
1: <laughs> a band of milk in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Just like that,
3: but
2: disgusting. the
1: milk is his cum. Oh, from his penis. Okay, Mr. Branner. So, Mr. Branner agrees. Well, he's got long time. He's got all kinds of strategies, right? He agrees to buy these boxes for me. Whoa. at cost. Whoa, you're gonna make margin. No, I'm just gonna break even. Oh, you're gonna break even. I'm gonna break even, but that's all I want. I just didn't want to lose. You get your money back. So I go. I go to Mr. Branner's place of business. Um. Uh, and I, I bring up these boxes of cereal and he's like inspecting them. He's got like one of those like old fashioned jewelry. Like, and then
2: after you did, would you, after you brought up all the cereal where you're like, Oh man, I'm not even that fucking tired. Not even that fucking tired. Carried all these boxes of cereal. I'm not even that fucking tired. <laughs> Lexan. Yeah, you were
3: there. <laughs> oh, I was. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You, had to, I did see you do
1: that. Yeah. You saw me do that. So we're up there with all these boxes of cereal. That's right. And, and, you know, Mr. Branner, he's got that like that old fashioned jewelry, that like monocle, that like. Yep. And he's looking at these outsides of these boxes. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I'm whispering to you, I'm like, oh, fuck Art. He's going to see that I opened some of these boxes of cereal. I'm so fucked. Art. He's going to fucking see it.
2: I'm like, Andy, you could just text me this. You don't have to be talking on the side of your mouth.
1: And Mr. Brainer goes like, what? <laughs> and we're like, oh, shit. Anyway, where's that contract we can sign? Yeah, let's get this deal moving. So he pulls out, he whips out this contract and he flops it down on the desk. Thick contract. This is one thick, girthy contract. Yeah. Uh It's not too long, but it's thick. And... I start signing away. I don't even read it. You know what? I was so hot and horny to get rid of that special K and make my money back. And I was co-signing it with you. Yeah. You had to co-sign for me because (laughs) I have no assets because I spent all my money on special K.
2: So I co-signed. I put up all my 40K miniatures. Right. And then, you know, you, we got the
1: contract through. Yeah. We got through the end of the contract and I picked it up. To hand it back to Mr. Branner, and all of a sudden, the contract just, like, falls on my head. And all the pages of the contract, I mean, this, remember, Beefers, this is a girthy contract. This is a thick contract. Right. All these pages turn into a man, a gruff, disgusting man, smoking a cigarette and eating a loose cheeseburger. It was unmistakably Mr. Bunker. It was Mr. Bunker. He was the contract. He was the contract, and he he just, all of a sudden, he, like... Spider-Man's this thing with his contract hands and he starts shooting pages of contract at us. We were getting paper cuts paper left cuts, and right. All over. It was and, horrible. And we both passed out from blood loss. <laughs> <laughs> and we woke up here in the bunker. We did. It was so uncomfortable. In a fucking kiddie pool full of Special K. And it's all your fault. I admit this one was my fault. 100%. What did you learn? I didn't learn anything. (laughs) I was supposed to learn about 40 K, but we never got to. God, now you got to teach me now. Bunk bunkers.
2: You see what I have to put up with here? Try to teach this guy about a, a fucking stupid RP, stupid war miniatures game that has expanded into multiple different media genres. And, and this is what I get in return.
3: This is what I get in return.
1: What I don't understand is when do you put the milk on the miniatures?
3: Can I use sliced berries? <laughs> sliced berries? Like a strawberry.
2: Okay. What other berries are you slicing? Wow.
1: Blueberries, You're going to
2: slice blueberries? I wouldn't, probably. No, you wouldn't. So just say sliced strawberries then, you goob. Fuck you. <laughs> I've never put fucking fresh fruit in my cereal. I've never done that.
1: What about a sliced banana? No. I'll do that in oatmeal. Huh. haven't
2: done in cereal. Maybe I should try it.
1: Maybe you should. What about? I'm not fucking buying Special K, I'll tell you that much. Why? Not after today. Well, yeah, it's not as good an investment as I thought. Yeah. The market on Special K is not. Yeah. There's not enough action for sharks like me. <laughs> that's for sure. That's
2: right. Well, bunkfuckers, that's how we got captured
1: this week. That's how we got captured this week. Um, and you know, that's how I, that's how I almost lost my life savings beefers, but the show must go on. Yeah. So that's why it's going to go on right now. Uh, and we're going to transition from talking about how we got abducted to talking about today's topic. Wow. Which is the mysterious disappearance and death of Ray Rivera. Art, are you ready to learn? I am. Okay. Okay. Then let's get it started here on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. Oops, all true crime. What are you doing, step detective? If there's one thing we love on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast, it's mysterious deaths. Wow, we do. And if there's one thing Art and I are apparently really bad at, it's deciphering what happened to the deceased. We don't have a good track record when it comes to true not crime, a do a good we? track record. We're pretty stupid. But hey, judging from the number of episodes of this podcast, we certainly can't take a hint and stop doing something when we're not any good at it. So let's give it another go today as we dig into the mysterious death of Ray Rivera. Okay. All right, I'm not going to say too much more about it at the top here because that will ruin the mystery, okay? And hey, I wouldn't want to ruin the mystery. I mean, I'm known for my dramatic abilities. Just ask my family if they'll even mention me or think about me. Oh, boy. Ugh. They just won't let me be me. Anyway. You're so dramatic. Anyway. Many thanks to select for Ana de España for suggesting we cover this story. Yes. Thank you to Anna. All right. So let's talk about who was Ray Rivera. Huh? We don't know Ray. We got to get to know him. So Ray was born Ray Omar Rivera on June 10th, 1973. Ray was born on a U.S. Air Force base in Spain where his father was stationed. Now, when Ray's father retired from the Air Force, the family relocated to Winter Park, Florida. Where Ray was a water polar water polar. He's a water polar. a water polo standout in high school. Oh, tough sport, tough sport. This is a, you don't think it is, but it's you got to be very well conditioned to play is an water athletic polo. Athletic guy, yeah. So he's a water polo standout at Winter Park, Florida High School. And prior to 2004, uh, Ray was an aspiring screenwriter and director living in Southern California in the USA. In 2005, he married the former Allison Jones. They got married in Puerto Rico. The former. She used to be Allison Jones and she was uh, Allison Herrera. Got it. Sheesh. 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 Now, as Ray neared his 33rd birthday in mid-2006. Okay. He and Allison were living in the city of Baltimore in the state of Maryland here in the USA. Ah, oh, Baltimore. The most populous city in Maryland and the 30th most populous in the United States. It's an important seaport on the Chesapeake Bay and it was is. first settled by Europeans in 1661. Wow. Long history. Baltimore has a rich history of a lot of fun neighborhoods with some really great names. Here's a few of the names of those neighborhoods in Baltimore. Okay. Better Waverly, which, uh, fuck regular Waverly, am I right? <laughs> the Concerned Citizens of Forest Park. That's the name of the whole neighborhood? That's the name of the neighborhood, Concerned Citizens of Forest Park. Wow. Wow. Druid Heights. Ooh, I like that one. Four by four. Hose Heights. Whose? Hose Heights. Old Goucher. (laughs) I love that one. Pimlico Good Neighbors. (laughs) Ridgely's Delight. Ooh, that's a good one. And my personal favorite, because it's home to my East Coast family, Pig Town. (laughs) They love Old Bay. They love (laughs) Old Bay for sure. Now, uh, though uh, Ray and Allison lived in Baltimore at the time, they were planning a move back to California soon. Yeah, so that's that, uh, that's a lot. It's a big distance. They were planning that move back to California so Ray could continue pursuit of his screenwriting career. Okay. So uh, while in Baltimore, Ray was working as a video contractor for the Oxford Club, uh, and this would have been again in mid 2006, the Oxford Club. It was basically an investment club for entrepreneurs and investors, uh, sort of like the Springfield Investorettes, and publishes the Oxford Club publishes investment research and recommendations. Ray was also an assistant men's water polo coach at Johns Hopkins University. Wow. Yeah. Now, before Ray started working with the Oxford Club, he was working as a writer and videographer for his high school friend and water polo teammate, Porter Stansberry, at Stansberry's investment company, pirate investor later renamed <laughs> yeah it was later renamed stansbury and associates investment research yeah and hey if you beefers have ever been invited to the stansbury family reunion you probably have your oops all stansbury's t-shirt <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: that's amazing so in uh 2004 Uh, was when Ray and Allison moved from California to Maryland. uh, And they moved to Maryland in order for Ray to take this job with Porter Stansberry at Stansberry's company, Pirate Investor. And according to Porter Stansberry, Ray stopped working for his company about six months prior to the time he died. Um, And that's when he started working for the Oxford Club, sort of as like a freelance videographer. So important thing to note here, both the Oxford Club and Stansberry and Associates Investment Research are member companies of the Agora, which is a Baltimore-based publishing company. So these are both in the same like corporate landscape, right? So to speak. Um. So on Tuesday, May sixteenth, two thousand six, Allison was out of town in Virginia on a business trip. In the evening, Allison attempted to call Ray, but couldn't couldn't get a hold of him. She dialed her work friend, Claudia, who was staying with Ray and Allison at their house at the time. According to Claudia, sometime in the later afternoon, somewhere between like four o'clock six thirty six 30 in the afternoon, Ray got a call from what was later learned to be the Agora switchboard. So the Agora company, all of the phone calls coming out of the Agora companies, they all went through this central switchboard. So Ray gets a call from the switchboard. Because it's coming from the switchboard, there's no way to know exactly who placed this call to Ray. And the exact identity of the person that called him that day is not definitively known. Still today. Claudia said Ray responded to whatever information he was given on this call by saying, Oh shit. As if he were shocked. So maybe it was like, Oh shit.
3: Oh shit. Wow.
1: Which way seemed more shocked? Um, oh, shit. That one? Okay. One. Oh, shit. And then he immediately left the house. This wow. house that he and Allison had in the Northwood neighborhood of Baltimore. Ray came back to the house a little bit later, but just briefly. And then he left again. Claudia also said Ray, by the time that Allison was calling her in the evening, Ray had not returned home. So in the morning, Claudia called Allison to tell her that Ray had still not come home. Allison got quite concerned by this and came back to Baltimore. She also contacted some of Ray's family, some of whom came to Baltimore to help look for Ray. Uh, Some of Allison's family also came to Baltimore to help in the search. So he'd been missing for how long? So he was missing. They reported him missing officially the next day. So on May 17th, he was reported missing. And then that's when people start coming in to help. search. So May for
2: him. 16th, he gets the call
1: right. May 16th in the evening. He's gone all night. Nobody sees him all night. No nobody, contact with nobody him. knows where he is. There's cell phones. Yeah. He had a cell phone. Okay. And this, no contact. And there's no contact. Nobody, okay. nobody can get a hold of him. The call just goes to voicemail. Gotcha. So, um, in the morning, that's when they start like searching for him around Baltimore. So, Despite all these efforts, all these people searching for him, no trace of Ray was seen for six days. Whoa. Then finally, on the 22nd of May, Allison's parents located Ray's car in a parking in a parking lot off of St. Paul Street in Mount Vernon near Ray's workplace. So this is sort of like kind of just north of the downtown area in Baltimore. Um, So Ray's car had received a parking ticket, which indicated the car had been parked in the lot the entire time Ray had been missing. Okay. Hey. So the car appears in the lot at some point the day Ray disappears, May 16th, but it was after the parking lot attendant had left for the night because he gave it a ticket in the morning of the 17th, in the morning of the 17th, when he, he got to work, still there. Yeah, right. And then the car had not moved through that whole time, six days. So three of Ray's coworkers at Stansberry and associates, um, As part of the search, they went to the top of a parking structure near where Ray's car was found just to get a better view of the area because the parking garage is up a little bit higher. He was parked in a ground lot and they're just getting up a little bit higher to see if they can spot anything. So because remember, at this point, all we found is Ray's car. (laughs) I don't I guess I don't really get I don't get
2: I guess I don't really get the logic behind that other than it's kind of a silly thing where it's like, oh, man, Ray's still missing. Let's go up somewhere high and look around for him. Yeah. It's just kind of like, I I don't see him anywhere out there. It's like, I don't know. I wouldn't really really do that. The merits of doing this were
1: debatable, (laughs) but it turned out to be a good thing that they did it.
2: Yeah, this time it is. But I thought the
1: parents found the car. They found the car. But listen. Oh, sorry. His coworkers went to the top of this parking structure. And what they (laughs) notice is a hole in the roof of the south wing of the Belvedere Hotel. Which is a historic former hotel, um, which was com- converted to condominiums in nineteen ninety-one. A hole, a hole in the roof of the. How Belvedere big is this roof. hole? It's a big hole in the roof. Man-sized hole. A man-sized hole. Okay, so a manhole, a manhole in the top of the roof of the Oops. Belvedere. <laughs> Oops, all manholes. All oh, manholes. Okay. <laughs> all right. So. The Belvedere Hotel is a Baltimore landmark. Uh, it's a building on the U.S. National Register of Historic Places. Oh, wow. Um, and interesting enough, I learned that this, that Baltimore is home to more registered historic places than any other city in the USA. That doesn't surprise me. It's a very historic city. Very historic city, but interesting fact. So, you know, play that at your leisure, beefers. Throw that out at your dinner parties. Do that. So, And just listen to this. List of famous guests of the Belvedere Hotel. This comes directly from the Belvedere's website. And yes, I'm going to read them all and exactly as the website has them listed. Here we go. Al Pacino, Patti LaBelle, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Kenny Rogers, Roy Rogers, David Copperfield, Duke and Duchess of Windsor, <laughs> President Theodore, Theo Roosevelt, President Taft, President Wilson, President Hoover, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, President Harding, President Truman, President Eisenhower, President Kennedy, President Reagan, Queen Marie of Romania, <laughs> Will Rogers, Sarah Bernhardt, Sir Henry Irving, Henry Fonda, Harry P. Belafonte, Andrew Carnegie, John D. Rockefeller, Lady Astor, Jean Harlow, Oscar Hammerstein, Anna Pavlova, Clark Gable, Carol Lombard Admiral Byrd Admiral Perry Samuel Clemens Lauren Bacall Fred Astaire Peter Lorre Mrs. Calvin Coolidge John Philip Sousa (laughs) Sarah Jessica Barker Renee Zellweger Tim Allen Kirstie Alley (laughs) My only problem with that list is why wasn't Kenny Rogers first? (laughs) why they list three peoples before him? I wonder who was the person that put that list together. It's a long list, but I doubt that it's comprehensive of every celebrity that ever stayed there. So who made those decisions? Who? Hey, who, we got to update the website for the... Oh, fuck, you're right. Kirstie Alley stayed. Yeah, nope. Kirstie Alley's making the cut. Who
2: stay here? Uh, geez. Uh, Mrs. Calvin Coolidge. Mrs. Calvin Coolidge. Uh, Kenny Rogers. Uh, every president in U.S. history... <laughs>
1: So fucking silly.
2: So anyway. Okay. So wait, so wait. Okay. The parents find the car, then the co-workers go up to do their little fucking scouting report with their
1: So let me describe the the layout a little bit. All right. So the lot where all right, so the Belvedere Hotel, mm-hmm. it sits at the corner of two streets okay. in Baltimore. Um, the names of which escape me Chase and something okay. else, but it doesn't really matter. You can look it up. Um it sits at the corner. Yeah. Is the hotel. Right. This parking structure is directly behind it to the south. Okay. So it's not on the corner, the parking structure, but it's like right behind the hotel. The parking lot where Ray's car was found is sort of um diagonal, I guess you could say, from both the hotel and the parking structure. And it's on the it's on the ground level. Okay. Um, just like across another street. Yeah so it's within visibility of the parking structure or from the hotel like in certain spots and the belvedere hotel is kind of a u-shaped building in a way and i mean we'll we'll talk about this more but there's the initial part of it is is like very st- tall it's like 14 stories and then there's a smaller part that's next to the parking structure a lower part so from the top of the parking garage you can't see to the very top of the belvedere hotel but you can see this lower part of the building this like South wing. Okay. But in the timeline of events, they knew where
2: Ray's car was when they went up there. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. Ray's car had been found. And so that led them to go to the top of the parking garage
2: to do their little Eagle eye to do,
1: to do the scouting report. Eagle eye
2: style thing where they, and while they're out there,
1: they noticed the hole in the roof of the South wing of the Belvedere hotel.
2: And they connected those two dots.
1: Well, they just noticed it. Okay. And so then they call it in. As to a, To the police. Okay. As like a, maybe check this out. There's a big hole in the roof of the Belvedere Hotel. Okay. So the space where this happened, this was like a former pool area, if I understand things right, but it was being, it was not a pool anymore. It was used as a conference area. So they they had redone it and it was like a conference room or it was like a space for sports or something. Um, at some point in the, the hole, where the yeah, where the hole was in the oh, Belvedere, okay. but now it was just a conference room. But it was kind of unused space, and it just it had, had a hole in it. Hadn't been used for a while, so police investigated the hotel. They went to the Be- Belvedere, and on May twenty fourth, two thousand six, inside this conference room, they discovered Ray's partially decomposed body. What the fuck? And it was under the hole in the roof. What the fuck? So Ray's pres- presumably. Ray's body had gone through this hole into this conference room. Now, another important note here. Uh, this is, again, like just to recap kind of some of the geography. God, no one noticed the smell? No, there were reports inside the hotel of the smell. Oh, Jesus Christ. What the fuck? Because there were uh, there was other office space in that same area. And so people had been saying, like, hey, it kind of fucking stinks in here. Um, Jesus. And then, of course, when they went to investigate... it's like, oh, maybe this is where the smell is. Like they thought that maybe like a rat or something got inside the walls and died. Classic rat. Classic rat. So then when they went to investigate this, they find Ray's body. Okay. So just again on this, the, the Belvedere is the tallest building in the vicinity in the parking garage. Again, where the coworkers went to, it's right next to the Belvedere, but it doesn't look on the main roof. It only looks on the south wing roof, right? Which is a little bit lower. And this is an important thing to keep in mind that there's a very tall part of the Belvedere Okay. It's the tallest building in the area. So they couldn't see the roof of that one. They can't see up there. You know, they can't. I mean, they can see up, but they can't see above it. Right. But there's this lower part. The south wing is much lower. So the initial hypothesis police were operating under is that Ray either jumped or was pushed from the main, the tall roof of the Belvedere, the roof on the tippy top, and fell down to the lower roof above where the conference room is. There was kind of a physics problem with this hypothesis, though, because the Belvedere has a mansard roof, which is, <laughs> I mean, get ready. mansard roof. A mansard roof, which is one of these roofs where there are sloped sides up to the top. Yeah. And the initials, you know, where there's like an initial slope that's not so steep, and then it gets really steep. Um, and there are like windows along the sides mm-hmm. of the the first slope. And as usual, I'm trying to describe something that's, Way easier to understand with a picture, so just do yourself a favor, beefers, and go Google Mansard Roof real quick and look at some pictures. Uh, better How yet, do you spell Mansard. Better yet, just look up pictures of the Belvedere, uh, and you can see actually the hotel. It's M A N S A R D.
2: A man's hard roof. Man's hard roof. Okay, yeah, I get what you're saying.
1: All right, so the it's pro- like a hip.
2: <laughs> it's like a hip roof. A hip roof. Yeah. Kind of. I don't know. All right. I'll take your word for it. Not at all. Never mind. Forget I said that. Okay.
1: I'll forget it. So the problem with this hypothesis is that to jump from the main roof of the Belvedere to the lower roof of the Belvedere, Ray would have had to cover a not insignificant horizontal distance. The vertical fall from the main roof to the conference room roof is approximately 177 feet. So that's how far down he would have fallen. And it takes about 3.3 seconds for for a person to fall that distance. God. That's fucked up. The horizontal distance between the two roofs, and again, this is like if you go at the nearest point, it's about 45 feet. So you have to jump 45 feet out and then fall. You have to cover a horizontal distance of 45 feet in 3.3 seconds while you're falling. Wow. So in order for Ray to have completed the jump covering that horizontal distance within the fall time, he would have had to be moving horizontally at 29 miles per hour is what eggheads say. Uh, so, for reference, the world's fastest ever recorded running time was set by Olympic sprinter Usain, Usain Bolt in 2009. And that was at 27 and a half miles per hour. Right. And then it's very short, right? So Ray would have had to have been running at a world record pace in flip-flops, no less, he was wearing flip-flops, and would have had only about 15 feet of space to get up to that speed. So he's got two and a half seconds to get to that speed. Makes sense. So... Um, it's also worth pointing out that the hole in the conference room roof was not too big. Uh, so police believe that Ray must've entered through the roof vertically. So he wasn't like splayed out. He didn't do a belly flop. He like dove in to the, to the room. Cause it's not a huge hole. It's a manhole. Another complicating factor is access to the roof itself. Apparently some people say getting up to the roof of the Belvedere is somewhat complicated. If you don't know what you're doing. Uh, There are hidden staircases and locked doors to pass through to get onto the roof. Uh, Sounds very Elisa Lamb in this respect, right? Right. Um, So it's not clear to some how Ray would have managed that. But author Makita Brotman, who wrote a 2018 book on the case called An Unexplained Death, The True Story of a Body at the Belvedere, and Makita Brotman, who actually lived in the Belvedere when Ray died. Whoa uh says it actually is not that hard to get onto the roof of the belvedere and that ray would have been able to do it okay another interesting tidbit is that ray's flip-flops his sunglasses and his phone were found relatively intact on the lower roof of the belvedere near the hole where he entered the conference room uh it's worth mentioning that his flip-flops showed some evidence as have of having been dragged and were somewhat coming apart. So there was some kind of wear and tear on the flip-flops, but the phone was still in working condition. The sunglasses were relatively good condition too. Okay. And all these things on the roof near where the hole was. He was definitely near that hole. He was near that hole. For sure. Editor. Detective Michael Bear, the police detective. Uh-oh. Joe Nickel, relax. Joe. <laughs> it's, it's not B- a real bear. B-A-I-E-R. <laughs> Joe Nickel, not B E A R. So, <laughs> Detective Michael Baer, the police detective working the case, believed the items appeared staged as though they were put there by somebody after the fact. Okay. Now, interesting. I can see that too. Now, interesting to note about Michael Baer is that Michael Bayer was reassigned from this case just a few weeks into investigating it because the Baltimore PD believed he had gotten too close Whoa. to Ray's family. So, uh, as another note, uh, Ray was known to carry a money clip, and the money clip was never recovered. Wasn't on his body, wasn't found on the roof, wasn't found anywhere. Mm. Or in the car. As an alternative to this initial hypothesis of Ray jumping, police hypothesized that Ray jumped from a ledge on the 11th floor of the Belvedere. This would be the ledge underneath the windows lining the lower slope of the Mansard roof. So, these are the windows, like, at the very top windows, basically in the building, the windows on the ledge were all part of privately owned condos or office spaces. If Ray was to jump from one of these spaces, he would have had to get access to these windows somehow. Remember the Belvedere had become condos in the nineties. So there weren't a bunch of like hotel rooms that he could just check into and get access to one of these ledges. And even if Ray had gained access to one of the rooms, the windows on the 11th floor, uh, it's been said uh, either did not open because they were so old that they just didn't open anymore or they only opened halfway. Yeah. So you can't get out of them. So police also considered the hypothesis that Ray didn't jump from the top of the Belvedere, but that he jumped from the parking garage that's right next to the Belvedere where his coworkers went to look for him. Okay. The, uh, the hypothesis suffered from a similar problem to the higher roof. The horizontal distance of travel was 20 feet to the hole in the roof. Uh, And the vertical distance is 20 feet. Um, So it's a much shorter distance to travel, um, but still it's some distance to travel horizontally and you're like diving in as well because it's a small hole. So um, police didn't really think that Ray would have died from a fall of only 20 feet vertically. Um, So that was an alternative hypothesis suggested. Uh, Now what's interesting is that none of the residents at the Belvedere really saw or heard anything that night. So uh, surely a man crashing through a roof nearby would have alerted somebody to something, right? Now, Makita Brotman says that the night that Ray disappeared, she did remember hearing like a large, a loud boom sound, but that she looked around at the street thinking something would be in the street and they didn't, and didn't see anything. So maybe other neighbors made the same mistake and looked at the wrong place. Now, Another note here is that the Belvedere has many security cameras inside. None of these cameras captured any footage of Ray when he was missing. And unfortunately, a camera on the roof of the Belvedere was either not working or it was unplugged at the time. Jesus uh, Christ. Now, to be fair, there's a few different stories on the security cams at the Belvedere. So it's also been claimed that all the security cameras at the Belvedere were working, but police were unable to retrieve the data due to a technical issue or that police took too long a time to review the camera data. And when they finally did, it appeared that the day Ray was in the Belvedere had been erased uh, and that there was no footage of the day Ray died. So there's a few different stories and it's not really clear what the actual true story on the security cam footage is from the Belvedere. But at the end of the day, because of all these strange circumstances surrounding Ray's death, the medical examiner ultimately decided to classify Ray's manner of death as quote unquote undetermined. The medical examiner also told Allison that the injuries Ray that some of the injuries Ray sustained were not consistent with falling. Aside from the investigation of the officials in Baltimore, Allison tried to look for clues to what could have happened to Ray, searching their home. Allison's search identified a folded note taped behind Ray's computer, which was accompanied by a blank check drawn on Ray's video production company. The note included the names of prominent figures in Hollywood movie titles, Freemasonry quotations, and other ramblings. It also included a list of everyone Ray knew with a request to make him and them five years younger. But the list excluded a few important people in Ray's life, which Allison found strange. Now, one person who is mentioned multiple times in the note is Ray's friend and former employer, Porter Stansberry. Now, here are some excerpts from this note that was found. Uh, And as far as I know, beefers... There's no comprehensive single place where somebody has typed up the entirety of Ray's note. There are just bits and pieces and like there are images you can look at of it, but it's not always great quality. Um, So here's some, here's some snippets. Brothers and sisters right now around the world, volcanoes are erupting. What an awesome sight! whom virtue unites. Death will not separate. And that last sentence is one that's like associated with Freemasonry. Whom virtue unites, death will not separate. Uh, I'd like to welcome those who accepted out invitations for membership during the game. We couldn't have done it without you. I took on the endeavor to find the truth, but not for its own sake. In accepting this quest for the truth, I hope to make myself, with the help of others, into a man worthy and ready to receive it. Members of the council, please note that I will lend careful concentration to the traditional responsibilities In light of those proceedings, I will satisfy the standard request of this council within the appropriate time. That was a well-played game. Congratulations to all who participated. But it was time to wake up, so here I am. This is still part of the notes? This is all part of the note. I stand before you a man who understands the purpose and value of our secrets. That's why I cherish them as secrets. Life is a test to see if you can control your spirit. Take care and enjoy the festivities. And those are those are the snippets from the note. Those are some snippets.
2: The fuck is going on here?
1: <laughs> yeah. So Allison determined that Ray left that note the day he disappeared. Now, not necessarily that he typed that note the day he disappeared, but that he left that note there behind his computer the day he disappeared. Okay. Ray apparently was a prolific note writer and often left notes in various positions. Let me know if you get that reference. Allison also said that Ray had been researching secret societies, including the Freemasons as part of a screenplay he was working on. Allison suspected that Ray could have uncovered something he wasn't supposed to. Ray allegedly believed that the East coast film industry was controlled by the Freemasons and the West coast film industry was controlled by the church of Scientology. Praise be to Tom Cruise. (laughs) Now, ah, WBAL, uh, a local TV station in Baltimore, spoke to a member from a Maryland Freemason Lodge who said that on the day Ray disappeared, Ray contacted the lodge to inquire about joining, becoming a member of the Freemasons. Um, Ultimately, this Freemason said that the interaction was no different than having any discussion with somebody who was a prospective member. He didn't notice anything strange about it. WBAL also reported that Ray purchased a copy of the book Freemasons for Dummies on the day he disappeared. Nice. Which I just find it's like I didn't realize that was a book, but very cool. I mean, there's books for everything for dummies. Yeah, everything for dummies.
2: Podcasting for dummies, but I've never fucking (laughs) read I'm not going to read that thing. Nah, (laughs) I'm too smart for
1: that. Yeah. Um, The FBI analyzed the note Ray left and ruled it not to be suicidal in nature, but that the note was consistent with someone suffering from delusional disorder or bipolar disorder. Okay. despite the FBI findings, police ruled Ray's death as a likely suicide and cut their investigation into the case way back. They basically stopped investigating after that. The decision to rule Ray's death or to find Ray's death as a suicide by the police upset Ray's family as they believed that Ray felt he had a good life and was excited to start a family with Allison. They had a lot of long term plans. Sure. So. The suspicious circumstances surrounding Ray's death gained renewed public interest in 2020 when the story appeared in the first episode of the rebooted Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, my God. So this was Mystery on the Rooftop uh, from the first, the debut episode of the rebooted Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. Now, during this episode of Unsolved Mysteries, Allison told a story about the security alarm at their house going off on May 15th, 2006 at 1 a.m. So this is just the day before Ray disappears. Ray went to see what set the alarm off, but found nothing. Allison noticed that Ray seemed very scared by the incident, like he was expecting to find someone at their house. The alarm again went off the next day, the very day Ray disappeared, again at 1 a.m. Ray found at that time that the windows of the house had been tampered with. So Allison believes that somebody was out to get Ray. Uh, She also said that in the time leading up to his disappearance, Ray seemed scared most of the time. And was especially protective of Allison. So much so that Ray accompanied Allison daily to a nearby track where she liked to run. One day, a man at the track began walking toward Allison. Ray jumped out of his car and rushed over to Allison. As Ray approached the track, the man changed directions and walked away. Now, a friend of Ray's recalled being asked several times by Ray if he was a member of the Freemasons. And talked a lot about the movie Eyes Wide Shut, which was... One of the both Stanley Kubrick and Eyes Wide Shut were mentioned in Ray's note. Those were two, one of the things listed. Stanley
2: Kubrick's last film. He didn't live to see it. He died. Debut. He
1: died after the final screening for Warner's executives. Right. But he never saw the premiere.
2: And the subject matter of the movie, without spoiling it, is essentially there is a secret society, not unlike what you would imagine a Freemason, Illuminati-esque mm-hmm. Sort of thing that the main character gets involved with. Lots of nudity, lots of sex, and other things.
1: It's a very cool movie. It's fucking sick. Any movie with sex and nudity is fucking cool. Yeah. Especially for
2: sexually rep- repressed men like us.
1: <laughs> We're not in touch with our sexuality. Right. We're obsessed with it. We can't get enough. Yeah. So anyway, anyway. eyes wide shut. <laughs> Anyways, eyes wide shut. So Ray talked to his friend about Freemasonry and Eyes Wide Shut. And his friend found this all a little strange. I mean, I guess if you don't have that kind of relationship where you talk about movies like Eyes Wide Shut and you start coming in and you're like, have you ever seen Eyes Wide Shut? Man, what a great movie. And you just keep going on and on about it. I can see where your friend would be like, "Yeah, this is a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, so anyway, a few weeks before his death, Ray- Never also- had an interaction like that. <laughs> Most you- people who I
2: talk to are like, I am enjoying this conversation and I'm, I'm agreeing with what this guy is saying. I like this guy. Yeah. At least that's how I perceive it.
1: Yeah. I bet you do. Perceive it that way. Trust me. That's not what they're thinking. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> this guy doesn't seem like an obsessive weirdo. <laughs> so this same friend. Okay. the same friend owned a, 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 a top floor apartment in Jersey City, New Jersey. And a few weeks before Ray died, Ray asked his friend... If he could borrow the keys to check out this apartment. So Ray wanted to go by himself and look at this top floor apartment in Jersey City, New Jersey. I would be like, why? I'd be like like, no His friend was like sure
2: He loaned him the keys That's so strange to me I'd be like If one of my friends was like Hey man Can I have the keys to your fucking apartment And I'm gonna check it out While you're not there I'd be like absolutely not You can come over when I'm here (laughs) Why would No I don't care You can come over when I'm here You don't need to do this right away That's
1: very strange to me But this wasn't the guy's like Primary residence I don't care So I don't like sharing At the end of the day Ray didn't go Okay good He returned the keys Unused so one person who comes off as pretty suspicious in the unsolved mysteries episode is Porter Stansbury. Yeah. Oops. All Stansbury's. <laughs> oops. All Stansbury's Porter didn't participate in the production of the unsolved mysteries episode, but the show raises some eyebrows about his conduct through all the investigation. Ray's friend and former employer allegedly refused to talk to police and even refused to discuss the case with Ray's family. Now speaking to the Baltimore sun after the unsolved mysteries episode aired, Porter Stansberry said, quote, the reason I've never commented about Ray's death publicly, first and foremost, is because I never thought there was any mystery about why or how he died. He also said, quote, we were all sad and shocked by the fact that Ray killed himself, but once we saw all the facts and the financial pressures, it wasn't much of a mystery, End quote. Hmm. Interesting take. So wait, Porter, again, is one of his work friends? Porter was basically... They were high school friends. Okay. They were both on the water polo team. And together. Porter got him the job there in Baltimore. Porter's the one who basically lured him away from California to Baltimore. Okay. Ray's a struggling screenwriter. Porter's offering him this job with his investment research company, promising him like a good salary. And so Ray decides to check it out. He decides to do it. He convinces. eventually Allison gets tired of being separated from him. They moved. She moves to Baltimore with him. They're thinking, let's do this for a couple of years. Let's make some money out here. And then we can go back to Southern California where we want okay. to be. Okay. So Porter Stansbury is basically the whole reason Ray is in, right. in Baltimore in right. a lot of ways. Uh, and Stansbury has said before that Ray was like his best friend and stuff. So but now he's like refusing
2: to comment on anything. He won't talk to anybody. He's,
1: according then, to people who did participate in the Unsolved Mysteries, Porter Stansberry didn't cooperate with police and didn't talk to Ray's family at all about the investigation. Um, But then, and some additional things that I'm going to talk about now. So it's also been alleged that employees of Agora were barred from talking to authorities or anybody about the circumstances surrounding Ray's death. So Ray was kind of technically an Agora employee at this time. Right. Stansberry's an Agora employee. And it's saying that Agora basically put a gag order on all these. um, They were a little agoraphobic about talking about Ray's death. Right. Yeah. So for what it's worth though, according to Stansberry's publicist, quote, there was no gag order or direction given to employees not to speak to the press, law enforcement or any other party. Porter Stansberry did later admit that employees were asked to direct media inquiries to a corporate spokesperson. So not to talk to the press directly, but to route everything through a corporate spokesperson. So Porter also said that he personally met with police in June of 2006 not long after Ray's body was discovered. Porter said he talked to a different detective than the detective interviewed for Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries interviewed Michael Bayer, who got reassigned from the case because he got too close to the family. Porter Stansbury talked to the detective who took over after that. Okay. Uh, So, basically, I think Porter Stansbury's point here is that he talked to a different detective than Unsolved Mysteries talked to. So, of course, that detective would say, well, I never talked to him because he never did.
2: And then Unsolved Mysteries cut it to make it sound like Porter Stansbury is the the whole linchpin, the whole thing, right? Right, right, right. When in reality, this is like probably, you know, not getting ahead of myself here, but it's like maybe actually there's a little bit just more of a boring mix up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. There's still more of this case to learn. There's still more to learn here. So, but that's just a little bit of the... I'm I'm trying to bring in both sides of the right, narrative right, here, right, so. right, right, because because I want the whole enchilada. I don't want the unsolved mysteries. Enchilada. You're not going just oops all Stansburys. You I want, want the whole, I want oops all enchilada. Yeah, you want oops whole enchilada. Oops, everybody. Oops, everybody. <laughs> so Porter also said that he hired a private investigator to help in the investigation into Ray's death, as well as offered a reward and personally helped look for Ray. And that's true. He did. He did offer a reward. He went up on that stupid
2: fucking parking lot.
1: He offered a reward of $1,000 uh for any information leading to uh solving Ray's. Ray's.
2: I mean, 1,000 bucks for just intel is like Yeah. That's that seems okay. Some people
1: have shit on him because they think it's a low amount cuz he's a rich guy. Yeah. But it's also this is not it's 2006 money. It's not like $1,000 to like find Ray. It's right. $1,000 for information that led to something. Right. You know. So um, regarding the phone call Ray received before his death, the day that he disappeared, yeah. the phone call Porter maintains that the call could not have come from a Stansbury and associates employee because all of his employees, including himself, were at a corporate retreat that day. They were on the Eastern shore. They weren't available to shucking oysters, shucking oysters, with old bay, smacking crabs with wooden hammers, smacking fucking crabs and sucking off their claws. So, according to Stansbury, it couldn't have been one of his people because they weren't in the office. They didn't have access to the okay, switch. oops, all Porter further said that he and Ray had a conversation at some point where Ray asked Porter if he was a member of the Freemasons. Porter also recalled having conversations with Allison where she expressed concerns for Ray's mental health. Okay. Allison, though, said she did not recall having conversations like this with Porter and reaffirmed she believed Ray's mental health was sound. Okay. She, she did admit that Ray seemed stressed about his work. Now, speaking of work stress, a friend of Ray's from Agora died a few months before Ray did, and Ray always felt like his coworker's death was suspicious. He felt like his his coworker, this is one of the few people that he felt like he bonded with really at Agora, and this guy died. And Ray always felt like the circumstances surrounding his death were a little what suspicious. What were the circumstances of the death? Uh, let me see if I can dig this out of my memory banks. Um, the guy was like from Pittsburgh and... Uh, Say no more. That's it. He was from <laughs> Pittsburgh. I don't remember exactly what the circumstances were, but Ray, Ray felt like it was suspicious. Like, Okay. Um, so...
2: Did anyone else feel like it was suspicious?
1: Doesn't seem like it, no. Okay. Uh, I mean, it depends on who you talk to. Like, Because you can like... You know, it's one of these things where it's like you can go down this rabbit hole Yeah. And tease all these things out. But is it really suspicious? I don't know. Maybe another story for another day. Right. Now, just to shit a little bit more on Porter Stansberry here. In 2003, this is so three years before Ray disappeared, Porter was named in a U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, complaint against Agora, Pirate Investor, and Porter Stansberry personally. Uh, The complaint alleged, quote, defendants engaged in an ongoing scheme to defraud public investors by disseminating false information in several Internet newsletters published by Agora or its wholly owned subsidiaries, such as Pirate Investor LLC. Through various publications, defendants claimed to have inside information about certain public companies. Defendants suggested that its readers could cash in on the inside information and make quick profits. The defendants offered to sell the inside information to newsletter subscribers for a fee of one thousand dollars. Numerous subscribers purchased the defendants, quote unquote, inside tips and made investment decisions based on that information. The purported inside information was false. And as a result, the subscribers did not realize the profits the defendants promised. The defendants, however, profited handsomely on information and belief. Agora received in excess of one million dollars from the sale of false information to its newsletter subscribers. So he was doing insider trading. Well, he was (laughs) was, false insider. Yeah. A lot of these newsletters. Agora is a public company. Uh, no, it's a privately held company. Okay. Um, but it seems like a lot of these newsletters are like, basically like, Hey, we have inside stock tips and you can buy them because they're like a research. It's like, let us help you do insider trading. Right. Um, which is a problem anyway, but then it's like, then when they were just making that stuff up and taking all the profits and being like, well, I guess it didn't work out like we thought. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the sec action concluded in 2007. So it was after Ray's death. And resulted in a one and a half million dollar fine. So Porter Stansberry. Troubles with the SEC. Um, now, is there any connection between this malfeasance and Ray's death? Not according to Porter Stansberry, but let's not listen to him. Let's right. draw our own conclusions, okay? Okay. And hey, let's shit on Porter Stansberry a little bit more here, huh? I love shitting on Porter Stansberry. Giving him a good old fashioned hot Carl. Big old Porter Steak fucking size <laughs> shit. Porter Steak. Yeah, Porter House. Porter
2: Stan Steak. Stakesbury. Porter Stakesbury. Porter Stakesbury
1: dookies on his little tummy. Now, is it possible that Porter Stansbury is some shadowy figure involved in some kind of criminal organization? Some people think it's possible. People like Baltimore-based writer Dave Troy. Troy sees similarities in the circumstances surrounding Ray's death to the circumstances surrounding other journalists and writers who may have gotten a little too close to the truth. One of the people cited by Dave Troy is a former subject of this podcast, Danny Casolaro. Ooh, the octopus. Yeah, if you recall, beefers, if you don't have as good a memory as Art, Danny Casolaro was found dead in a hotel bathroom in West Virginia after being deep into an investigation on a network of government figures, organized criminals, and intelligence operatives that were basically behind every major political scandal since JFK's assassination. Wow. Casolaro referred to the group as the octopus. Um, Dave Troy sees Ray being connected to a similar conspiracy through none other than Porter Stansberry. As evidence, Troy cites another SEC investigation into Agora at the request of the 9-11 Commission because of an investment tip Agora editor Steven Sarnoff issued on September 9th, 2001, quote, indicating trouble ahead for United Airlines and American Airlines parent AMR in his facts-based newsletter, Options Hotline, end quote. So basically on September 9th, he was like, hey, these airlines are going to have a bad time coming up. Ultimately, the SEC and the 9-11 Commission found no definitive proof of wrongdoing or that Sarnoff had any advanced knowledge of the 9-11 attacks, but still kind of weird nonetheless, right? Yeah. Weird timing, especially coupled with the SEC investigation into Pirate Investor, which again was the entity Porter Stansberry ran and which employed Ray. The way Troy sees it, Ray entered this world of connected bigwigs and inside information, which may have ultimately led to his death, and it was all thanks to Porter Stansberry. Now, also in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, it suggested that the note Ray left could have been written in code. One viewer believed they cracked the code. In the note, Ray makes several references to some kind of game. You heard that in the excerpts. Uh, and one of the movies, movie titles Ray listed in the note was David Fincher's 1997 thriller starring Michael Douglas the game in the movie, the game and quick sidebar here. Can you imagine if they made a board game about the movie, the game, how would you ask someone to play that? Would you like to play the game based on the movie, the game? They either think you're talking about
2: triple H or the game. Yeah. Which all of our listeners just lost.
1: (laughs) Oh boy. One star reviews incoming. There they come. Oh boy. (laughs) <laughs> um so anyway the movie the game is kind of complicated to
2: explain like any david- hey you want to play the game yeah what game the game what game the game on the game what game like this is just a hilarious it's who's very, on first yeah parody it's i mean it's writes and itself Costello,
1: yeah so fun so the game is kind oops. of complicated it's <laughs> all the game oops <laughs> <laughs> the game like any david fincher movies a little bit hard to explain.
2: Right. Okay. Maybe. Depends. Uh, yeah. I don't I think guess. we
1: should shit on David Fincher's. I'm not pressure. shitting on him. I'm I just saying. That's because you fucking hate him. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, you may be not able to <laughs> sum it up in, like, two sentences. <laughs> yes. yes. A David Fincher movie. Right. Um. So, the game is basically uh about a lonely but wealthy investment banker, played by Michael Douglas, who gets gifted a, who gets gifted participation in in a game by his estranged brother played by Sean Penn through a series of twists and turns and being buried alive. The banker is made to believe he's lost his family and his wealth, which drives him to the brink of a mental breakdown, believing there's a massive conspiracy against him. In the end, the whole thing is an elaborate setup to a surprise birthday party. The banker arrives at the party by attempting suicide by jumping through a glass skylight above the ballroom where the party is being held. In the movie, though, the glass is breakaway glass and there's an inflatable pad to break the banker's fall. Ultimately, the whole thing was designed to get the banker to enjoy his life more. Make you appreciate what you've got. Wow. The lower roof of the Belvedere also has two glass-domed skylights on it. So the area above where Ray's body was found, that roof also has two glass-domed skylights, Mm -hmm. making the scene eerily similar To the game, Ray's situation in the game, very similar. It's been hypothesized that Ray was caught up in some game, some type of game similar to the one in the movie, the game, and was attempting to imitate the scene by crashing through one of the glass skylights at the Belvedere. But instead of hitting the skylight, Ray missed. Or uh, that Ray thought he was in a The Game-like scenario. Uh, Youtuber Dr. Todd Grande. Oh, uh, p- favorite for research on this podcast. That's right. Love Dr. Todd. Um, Shout out Dr. Todd. Hit doc- us up, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Todd. We'll have you on when we revisit John Bonet Ramsey. That's right. Uh, Ray might have, uh, according to Dr. Todd Grande, Ray might have felt that he was in some sort of the Matrix-like scenario. The Matrix movies were also mentioned in Ray's note. It says, "like Matrix." the matrix one through three. It also said things like star Wars one through three and which it's like, okay, the which original one? trilogy or yeah. the prequels, it's like, come on. um, and Lord of the Rings one through three. Yeah. So anyway, um, Dr. Todd says maybe Ray thought he was like in the matrix where he's being fed a false reality by the Freemasons, which is the quote unquote game in this case. And that he finally figured it all out. Enough, And he's ready to ascend to the next level and become a Freemason himself. Dr. Grande also proposes that Ray's note could be an attempt by Ray to communicate with the Freemasons watching over his progress. You think if you're in a simulation, writing a note like that makes more sense. Because you you don't need backstory to fill in some of these holes because they already know. Right. And they can read this just by virtue of them controlling the simulation. So... If you're an outsider, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but if his only objective is to demonstrate that he solved the puzzle and he's ready to, to leave the simulation and become a Mason himself, they already know all that. He doesn't need to provide it. What he's got in the note is maybe, maybe makes sense in that context. So in what might be evidence of Ray trying to act out some kind of a, the game reality, a friend of Ray's Brad Hotman, um, said, uh, this actually, I already mentioned this, I guess. Um, so Brad Hotman was the friend who Ray discussed Eyes Wide Shut with, asked him about being a Freemason, and asked to visit his apartment. So this may be a little bit of evidence of Ray trying to like bring this to fruition. Um, speaking in the aftermath of the Unsolved Mysteries episode, Brad Hotman said of Ray's story, quote, this is a real conversation the world can have about mental health, mental illness, and help people get help when they need it. And it turned into a murder mystery where they're accusing people of being involved. End quote. For what it's worth, after the fan hypothesis of Ray's potential involvement in a The Game-like scenario surfaced, Allison was asked about the possibility by Unsolved Mysteries co-creator. Allison said she didn't believe the game was especially significant to Ray. Allison said Ray kept many journals with all kinds of things written in them, and he was into a lot of different movies. Ray was an aspiring screenwriter, after all. Hmm? So, clearly, Hotman and Stansbury are convinced Ray's death was a suicide brought on by mental health issues. And that's a view shared by both Dr. Todd Grande and Makita Brotman, who both believe Ray suffered a psychotic break leading to his suicide. Dr. Grande says that this was presumably the first such break Ray had ever experienced, meaning the people around him were not familiar with the cause of the strange behaviors he was exhibiting. Dr. Grande says the first break is often the most dangerous for the sufferer because oh, I love that
2: song by Dr. Todd Grande. The first break is often the deepest. <laughs>
1: the first break is often the most dangerous for the sufferer. Todd saying that so beautifully. Dr. Cheryl Grande. <laughs> Dr. Cheryl Grande. Um, so uh, because because people around the sufferer right. don't They're understand what to do in this situation. I've never seen him do this before. This comes completely out of the blue for right. people, people who love this person. Right. Um, so the first break is often the most dangerous. And if someone experiencing a first psychotic break can get the help they need, Future breaks are hopefully able to be handled by the people around them. Unfortunately for Ray, many believe he was unable to get help, which led to deadly consequences. Now, to steer a little bit different direction, in 2021, forensic expert Miriam Moya published Ray Rivera, Suicide or Homicide, a book that posits that Ray did not commit suicide, but rather was the victim of an automobile hit and run. What? Yeah. Others have also found this hypothesis somewhat compelling. Actually, the basic underpinning idea is that the injuries Ray sustained when he died were not entirely consistent with just falling from a great height. And as an example here, Ray's shins were broken. Both of his shins were broken. Oh, God. The medical examiner that did Ray's autopsy even made a note that the injuries to Ray's shins were out of the ordinary. Now, we already mentioned that the medical examiner ruled the circumstances surrounding Ray's death as undetermined saying that not all of his injuries were completely consistent with falling. So what's kind of envisioned in this hypothesis of the car is that Ray was hit by an automobile on purpose, like not an accident, like that he was murdered um, with a car and his body was either dropped through the hole in the roof or placed in the room where it was discovered in order to make the whole thing look like a suicide. And as evidence, people look to Ray's belongings on the rooftop like, how would his shoes have fallen off his feet and landed on the roof? How would his sunglasses and phone have worked their ways out of his pockets to touch down gently on top of the roof and not be damaged? It's uh, been suggested that rather than being, like, placed or staged, Ray's body could also have been launched by the car that struck him, flinging the body to the rooftop where it crashed through and came to rest. Now, in this case, Ray is struck while standing on top of the parking structure where his Agora co-workers first noticed the hole, In the Belvedere roof. Uh, In a Reddit post by user uh, The Oval Mask, it's estimated the car would only need to be traveling 35 miles per hour in order to launch Ray with sufficient force to move his body the 20 horizontal feet required to make the hole in the Belvedere roof. Jesus Christ. As other Reddit users point out, though, in order for this to work, the car has to have enough room to get up to speed and have enough room to hit Ray and come to a full stop before the car itself crashes over the side of the parking garage. Well, be first here we are again. We've gotten some information on a mysterious death and now art and I have to try to decide what happened. Where do you think we'll lean in this case? Do you think we'll agree that Ray's mental health was to blame or will our suspicious eyes fall on the terrible visage of Porter Stansberry? Or will we agree that Ray was hit by a car? No matter what we think, I'm sure we'll get it wrong. But let's not think about that. Let's think about what we get right. And if that's anything, it's our unwavering hunger for the whole enchilada.
2: Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast will be right back after this brief message.
0: I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast.
1: Welcome back, beefers. That was our research into the mysterious death of Ray Rivera. So let's talk about it. Art, um, you've been... Uh, I'll say this. Shaking your head. In. This is probably a topic we'll revisit.
2: This will require a revisit. Yeah. This is a, like, there's a lot to this one. There's a lot of, lot of meat on this bone. There's a lot of meat on this bone with like... I'm reading fucking... uh, Fucking reddit posts here on r slash unsolved mysteries with people fucking discussing the physics of jumping and like all these things and like my, i'm like what the fuck and like well what the Belvedere was built in 1903 and they didn't use drywall it would have been plaster and blah,
3: blah 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 and it's like okay fuck jesus christ all right yeah oh my god like yeah um I don't know. This is wild.
2: I didn't I didn't know how deep this rabbit hole went. <laughs> it um, goes pretty deep. I want to bring up uh maybe a fun palate cleanser here. You talked about the uh that person who 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 uh it wasn't it was was it Porter's Porterhouse steak? Sainsbury? He got in trouble pre-9/11 for like talking about airlines or something? Uh it, or he was got it, inquired. It wasn't know? him, it
1: was some guy named Sarnoff who worked for yeah. Agora.
2: Sarney, Barney Sarney. And um and so that is weird. But did you know this? The X-Files had a spinoff show based on three. Um, they, they tend to be comedic characters called the Lone Gunman. You remember the go- Lone Gunman from X-Files? They're kind of like Mulder's like goofy conspiracy friends or like tropey archetypical conspiracy oh, guys. Oh, yeah. You have the very old hippie guy, frohickey, You have the kind of young hacker dude in Langley. And then you have, um, um, John, I forget his last name. Who's kind of like the government guy who ended up joining the conspiracies. Yeah. He's yeah. He's also into computers, but he's kind of like their leader.
1: Yeah. I remember these guys. Cause I always thought they were like, Oh, it's just like three
2: dorks. They're three dorks. And they're, they're a trope. They're usually comedic and they're funny. They got a spinoff show in, and it aired in, um, 2001. The pilot episode aired in March of 2001. Do you know what the plot of the pilot episode of The Lone Gunman Show was about? Didn't we talk about this? No, maybe we did. In
1: our 9/11 episodes know. we might have
2: It was about uh, it was about a in the government plot to crash a plane mm-hmm. into the World Trade Center via remote control so that the government could then collect on the arms deal contracts they would get by causing that uprising and war yeah so obviously this was like what the fuck this aired in march of 2001 and then yeah. you have fucking 911 in september yeah that's crazy it's 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 like it gets the conspiracy brain rattling doesn't it <laughs> yeah it kind of makes you go Ooh. but uh you know i mean I guess that was just in the zeitgeist well you know obviously as we dis- we disclosed on our 9-11 episode there had been many attempts on the world trade center yeah. um even one just a few years maybe not maybe a handful of years earlier right in 93 yeah there was a not just uh but there have been lots of
1: threats to there blow was up a the bombing fucking, at the right
2: base of the trade center in there have been lots of threats to blow up that building yeah um so it's no surprise that maybe the writers would have taken yeah. some... And then, obviously, part of that episode involves a remote-controlled car. Somebody puts a remote-controlled car to, like, fake a death. So yeah. they obviously link that with the episode. But um, still kind of fucking wild. So... It's interesting. Stranger than fiction.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, like, obviously, the nine eleven Commission and the SEC didn't find that Sarnoff had any inside knowledge. Right. Um, but that's even, like, you know, that's two days before... So the hijackers were in the country right? at that point when he made that tip. I'd love to see that fucking curb
2: episode where somebody has insider knowledge on 9-11 and they didn't say anything because of some awkward reason they would have to like disclose that information. Like the person they would have to disclose that information to is like somebody who <laughs> slighted them like earlier.
1: Larry David, NSA employee. And right. He's like, I don't know. Jeez. I'd have to talk to Tim. Timothy F. Tim, Tim at the CIA. He's got CIA breath.
2: He's got bad breath. I mean, could I call him? It's like I have to it says in the rules I have to go talk to him in person. I'm like, I don't really it won't happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not gonna happen and then it's like nine eleven, 11
2: Um This is a wild fucking story, man. What do you what do you what's what's tickling your pickle about this? Man. There's so much to unpack here. Yeah. I, you know, when topics like this come up, it's hard to joke and talk sometimes because it's like, I mean, you know, obviously we're no fucking Dr. Todd Grande where it's like that guy's an actual doctor. and like <laughs>
1: So much empathy and like yeah. respect for the. And
2: can actually like diagnose certain things right. and traits mm-hmm. with like a. A poison class that we I don't just have. want to say,
1: if you we were making oops all
2: fucking Crunchberry jokes the whole fucking episode. And now I'm gonna sit here and shift tone and be like, you know what, it's really serious when mental health issues come up in an episode and it's like, what the fuck are we doing? I mean,
1: Dr. Grande's video on this will be linked in the show notes and like <laughs> I do recommend going in going and watching it. Like he does a good job with his videos. Right. I but
2: I I struggled sometimes to just sit here and say, like, yep, this guy was having a mental health episode. That's what happened because it's like I don't know it's 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 such a fucking tough thing because it's you know obviously the family they feel a certain way and like nobody wants to sit here and you know for them this is a very personal touching hurt it hurts this is a traumatic experience yeah and so for them to to sit there and listen to people just say like yeah listen like That guy, like, you know, this person that you care a lot about was just having a psychotic breakdown.
1: End of story. He was having a psychotic break and killed himself. Right. And it's, you know, I I think that most people, I think you see this a lot in similar cases where people who are the family, regardless of really what the circumstances are, I don't think that most people, unless it's plainly clear that it was a suicide situation, Mm -hmm. people really don't like to accept that. Um, and it's understandable, I think, from my from at least from my perspective, that you it would know, be an incredibly hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Somebody like Allison, she's saying, like, well, we had long term plans. It's like, you know, if it is a psychotic break, though, it sort of explains how Ray would be thinking long term. Like, it's not that he intended to commit suicide. It's that you get you get you find yourself in that situation, I guess, is really more what it is.
2: That being said. I have no fucking clue how he ended up in that room. You look at the pictures of the roof and the hole in the roof and it's like, it's not a clean hole. It's shardy and metal and there's like pointy parts. Mm -hmm. And so he would have been all fucking cut up. He
1: was. Body had plenty of lacerations on it. Okay, he did. So maybe he did go through this fucking roof. And
2: And then it split and then the parts bent back up.
1: But you know, it's like the thing that they say is he ent- that that based on the shape of the hole and everything, they think he entered vertically. So he would have been doing like a pencil dive, so with his feet first. So it's like, yeah, like I guess. And then, I don't know. It just, I mean, and I'm no medical examiner. You aren't. <laughs> why are you wearing that outfit? Well, I mean, first of all, I did rob a medical examiner's office, and yes. These credentials are real, but they don't belong to me. I just whited out the name of the person on it and put my own name. You just like to cosplay. I just like to cosplay. I'm a real cosplayer. I love to be a medical examiner cosplay. Collecting dead bodies from around. <laughs> yeah. Checking them out. Um, I mean, I don't know at what you consider to be consistent with falling in terms of injuries, but it's like he suffered a lot of injuries that to me, it's like, well, yeah, if you fell, you probably have a lot of injuries. But, you know, I don't know. Apparently you know, breaking the shins is like an unusual thing to have happened from a falling death. What if he landed like knees first? Well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Or like you said, although if he goes, you know, if he went in like feet like, first. Shins doing...
2: first. Yeah. I know nobody could fucking see that besides you, what I just did, <laughs> but imagine somebody free falling where right. they're like waving their arms. You know, not doing a straight and the pencil, feet dive. just kind of like yeah.
1: peel back a little from the force, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think t- I think too. One thing to think about is maybe some of the physics problems get better if you think of Ray jumping from the ledge, the ledge where at the eleventh floor, where it's the like start of the mansard roof. It's, it's, it's not a big ledge. So it's not like there's a ton of space to move around on it. Like he would pretty much just have to like leap from there. And he's an athletic guy, right? He's very athletic. Yeah. He's a big guy. He's athletic.
2: He's a fucking water polo coach. Like yeah.
1: he's an athletic fellow, water polo, very athletic
2: sport. Um, yeah. the guys who play water polo, are typically tall, strong, beefy.
1: These are good looking hunky dudes. Ray was a good looking hunky dude. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at these pictures and I'm like, you're thinking, oops, I'm thinking, oops, oops all, all boner. Ray <laughs> Oops, all Boner.
3: <laughs> this guy's a hunk. It's it's
2: also tough to say because it's like, okay, you've got this angle where he's an aspiring screenwriter, and God knows you and I know how fucking fucked up that whole world is and, like, the whole entertainment world. The entertainment world fucks with your head. Oh, yeah. I, it's tough. We we weren't even, like, involved in it even a little bit. But, like, <laughs> yeah. I got, like, I got on, like... Like, if the entertainment world was like the baseball field, like I was like, you know, I was, I was maybe like near the dugout, you know, with, I was doing commercial auditions and like you get in this weird thing where you're like, you're, you're so willing to sacrifice every bit of yourself and your humanity and who you are. And just like, it, it is weird, right? When sometimes you talk to like the, the, the trope of the struggling artist, you're like, why does this person's in here fucking like, starving themselves they live in a shitty apartment so what they can do comedy like it's like yeah but like we get that right and other people get that where it's like no like i have to do this it's my calling and so then when that doesn't work out and that whole world shatters and you you give up quote-unquote you take a fucking normal job you move across the country you're giving up on your dreams like that can really affect a person
1: yeah you can see how that happens and I just want to take a quick sidebar because I read this I read something the other day mm-hmm. and it's and it stuck with me a lot. And since you bring up Showbiz, so um this was in um this was in uh, in in it was an article about um the song Everything Is Free, uh, which is a Jillian Welch song from like 2001. Uh ostensibly the song is kind of about um Gillian Welch And her husband Dave Rawlings, they had just lost their record. Well, they were just their record contract was over, and they hadn't been re-signed to another label, and they were having a lot of anxiety about what they were going to do with their musical career, and then also at the same time, it's like this was the like the height of Napster, Mm -hmm. and so they were concerned about how they could if they would ever make money again doing music, and so, you know, it's this song about basically like. I can make, you can get my art for free, but I can withhold my art always. Like I can, you can't get art if I don't give it to you. Right. Uh, it's kind of the the message. Um, and, uh, Jillian Welch was talking to an interviewer about the song because it's had some sort of like a resurgence of popularity. Um, and fucking TikTok, <laughs> fucking TikTok, just like walking in the sand. Um, so, She said something that like, you know, people, I'm going to paraphrase here. I don't know the exact quote, but it was basically like, people always tell you that, that if your art, if you really love art and you really love making your art, that you will do it for free. You don't need anybody to pay you. And that's like pure artistry Right? is that you don't take money for it. Right? And she said, she feels the other way around that if she, if she is getting paid for her art, she's taking the. She's taking the risk, like all the risk on herself, right? She's giving up everything, all of her other like sources of income to fully invest in doing this artwork uh, and making music and that that's more pure than just doing it for free because you also have to live. So you're obviously doing something else if you're doing art for free. right? Something to think about has nothing to do with this case. Right. You're 100% right. It
2: has absolutely nothing to do with this case. We'll cut it in post. Um <laughs> no. It's a great point, Andy, cuz it it's it it is. It's like But raise one of these people who's out asked, there.
1: He has to live.
2: Right. He's not making enough money as right. a screenwriter. He can't make it.
1: And so he's got to live. And so he's and making a choice is,
2: to live. is fucking hard. It's just as hard as goddamn acting. Yes. There's a million motherfuckers all over the world who think they're the next Aaron Sorkin or whatever fucking writer, screenwriter who's like a Easy name to pull Judd Apatow Judd Apatow and they have an appetite for Apatow and it's like it's just as fucking hard to get your goddamn script read Jesus Christ you go through just as much rejection so much rejection so it really fucks with you and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like oh wow cool I spent like the last 15 years of my life going after this all the like quote unquote the best years of your life Going after your fucking like dream, you barely moved an inch from where you were when you were twenty three years old. Yeah, so you start a podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's interesting too that you bring you you go down this path because Ray was no stranger to this either, because he was a water polo player competitively, and he was quite good. So good, in fact, that he almost made the U.S. Olympic team. Whoa, as a water polo player. He got to, like, try out for the team and didn't make it. Shit. So he was very close to being an Olympian, but didn't get it. So dealing with this rejection, especially for people who are highly competitive athletes
2: like him. And people who are good, too. Right. It's, it's you know, that's it, it almost stings worse. Like, if you're bad at sports like me and you, it's like, well, you expect I'm not a ball. I'm
1: not a ballman. But there are some people, and I'm not saying that this is Ray necessarily, but some people are good at stuff. They don't get used to rejection because they're not, they don't, there's not a lot of good reasons to reject them. Usually
2: that's, it's really hard. That's why a lot of guys fuck up when they get to the college level. It's because they've been dominant. Yeah. They've been dominant their whole life through high school and junior football. They, they were the best kid on their high school team, the best kid, maybe even in the county. Yeah. Then they get to college and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, every kid here is the best kid in their County. And some of them are so much fucking better than you like light years ahead of you. And you go, Oh fuck. Yeah. So they fucking self ruin their own dreams. Where they go, well, you know, I didn't lose because of my ability at sports. I lost because I fucked up and did drugs. Right? Fucked up and did this. I didn't go to class. Right?
1: Whatever the story right, is with you can athletes. Reverse right? engineer like a reason exactly. For not. not and I'm
2: not saying that Ray did that, but I'm saying yeah. that for people who are so driven by competition and their it happens. It happens. You you just you can't. You don't accept failure because yeah. that's how you become a competitive winner. Me and you, early on, realized that we were failures, so we leaned into that.
1: I'm so surprised by success that it genuinely (laughs) takes (laughs) me off guard. (laughs) I don't ever expect
2: anything to go right. That's so true. That is you in a nutshell. If it's That is oops all Andy Berries right there. If it
1: goes wrong, I'm like, yeah. I kind of expected that would happen. Yep. And then if it goes right, I'm like, I, this is something, something's not g- good here. There's something going wrong. Um, I wrote a little note about these secret
2: societies, too. I think they add to the spice of this mystery a lot.
1: <laughs> it does add a lot of seasoning here.
2: You know, I don't know. We've never dug into the, these secret societies, really, behind, besides Bilderberg's. But we've never done Freemasons, which is a big one. It's a huge topic. It's so fucking big. So fucking big
1: oops it's so big
2: it's tough man I I, I, I wonder how I don't know I, I sometimes wonder like people think the Freemasons and all these evil societies secret societies are like working in the shadows but I'm like I don't know I think they're the scapegoat for the actual evil secret societies that their whole MO is that no I don't want you to ever know about what i'm doing so i'll hide in plain sight and you actually won't get any information on me whereas like it's like the freemasons is like if we actually did an episode you could find a lot of like the history channels doing fucking episodes on the freemason the history channel ain't doing episodes on what the nsa is (laughs) doing well you know
1: i i i i knew somebody who was a freemason like a long time freemason very high degree freemason and I come from like a, a real, Dragon
2: Ball Z, Super Saiyan, right? like five or six level
1: fucking. <laughs> right. Exactly. Budokai. Um, and he actually had talked to me before about like getting me to join the Masons. Whoa. Like, I didn't know this. To join the Masonic Lodge. Oh my God. Bunk fuckers. And you know what? You know what the like Mason activities are? It's a lot of like charitable stuff in the community. Like they giving money to different causes. And then it's mostly them going to the lodge and playing cards. Yeah. But then they have all these secret little rituals that they don't tell anybody about, but it's like, it's a stupid, silly, fun thing for people to be a part of. To me, it's, it's really no different than any other fraternal organization in a lot of ways. Like, are there probably some connections to be made between powerful people that know each other through this organization? Yeah, for sure. That's everything in life. That's networking, baby. Yeah, that's everything. Yeah. Like, uh, and of course, like uh, to me, that's Bilderberg too. Is it's a lot of networking and like yeah, it's a little but more selective. And well,
2: and and that one also has because you got movers and shakers in political and government organizations. They're
1: they're targeting specific people that right. It's going to make it look suspicious no matter what. Right. And and yeah, probably a lot of those. But it's like same thing with Bohemian Grove. You have to get like to like that things, point of right? saying like, yeah. is it some sort of indoctrination? Are they like forcing a viewpoint on these people? I don't necessarily think that's true. But yeah, I'm sure that these people make connections and start like collaborating with people that they meet at these things for sure. I mean, what's the purpose of seeking out a fraternal order
2: even in the yeah. first place? Is it like, you know, it's probably because you don't have a lot of, I don't know, maybe it's because you don't have a lot of friends.
1: Some people do it because oh, they're
2: a guy like you. And I'm like, yeah, that's why that guy reached out to you. Cause it's like, of course you don't have any fucking friends. So he probably <laughs> took pity on you. He's like, you're <laughs> some poor fucking sap. There's yeah. have
1: fucking friends. <laughs> like I said, it's a charity thing. <laughs>
2: You were the charity case. Yeah.
1: You yeah, know what? I think that, I think that a lot of people do join fraternal organizations because it's either, it's, it's like one of two things. And and I think primarily it's that they'll know people who are already involved in it and they like those people. Mm-hmm. And then they find out, Oh, I'm, you know, Oh, they, everybody else does this. I want to do it too. And so it's like more of a, it's a social pressure type of thing. Like I'm friends with people who are Masons. I want to be a Mason too. And it's like, okay, sure. You can be involved. Um More so than it's like, uh, you know, I think that's probably more common than people who are just like, I don't know what else to do. Like, I'm going to join a fraternal organization. But there's probably are a few people that are like that that are like, I don't don't have any friends. This might be a good way to meet friends. Good way to meet people.
2: Um, No, I think you're right. And, um, but it's like, so they add a lot of spice, a lot of flavor. Obviously, he's got this weird, very weird, cryptic, weird note. Um, You have, but... You know, we got to look at the facts, we got to look at the evidence. I wrote this note uh, with that Brett Hotman is interesting. Brad Hotman, yeah. So, B for That was the guy who had the apartment that
1: Brad Brad Hotman said that um
2: Why did Ray, I write that note?
1: Ray asked to him Ray Ray talked to him a few weeks before he died and Ray wanted to talk a lot about Freemasonry and asked Brad Hotman if he was a Freemason and then he wanted to talk to him about eyes wide shut. Brad Hopman also owned a top-floor apartment in Jersey City, New Jersey. And Ray asked to go see that apartment by himself. And Brad Hopman loaned him the keys, but Ray never went. He returned the keys unused.
2: And then later, he he's a believer that this was a suicide.
1: Yeah, Brad Hopman's the guy, and again, I'm paraphrasing, who basically said, like, Ray's story could be used as a way to start a conversation about mental health and making sure that people who need help with their mental health get it. But instead, it's been twisted into this unsolved murder mystery, where they're trying to figure out who who done it. Basically, in a way, I think he's probably defending Porter Stansberry a little bit by saying that, because you know he made that comment about trying to say people are involved, and Porter Stansberry is probably the person that most people are trying to say is involved in Ray's murder. Um, so I think there's, he's obviously on the side of this was a mental health issue and a suicide
3: and
2: no offense to fucking netflix and 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 unsolved mysteries but they have to make an interesting story mm-hmm. uh this is you know because we've we've said this before if the history channel with some of these shows actually showed that it's they'd be like five to ten minute episodes so, you know, they're causing drama where drama may or may not exist. There's a lot of things like, well, they're the company asked them to sign a gag order. It's like, yeah, what do you think a company is going to do?
1: Yeah, that's a fucking st- if they
2: didn't do that, I'd be like, that's weird or that's negligent upon the
1: part of the company. Like, and if they didn't do that, you'd be like, well, why didn't more people talk to the press then? Like right. Why weren't there more of these like crazy theories floating around? Right. It's like, that's pretty standard for a
2: company to be like, hey, like here's an NDA or here's a thing. We don't want anybody talking about it. I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I'm saying that's pretty standard. Like, they're not, I don't think they're trying to hide anything. I think they're trying to like, be like, oh God, if, I need to save face for my fucking company.
1: <laughs> yeah. If any, if anybody has worked for a big company, like right. that's, that's standard. It's like, right you're not supposed to talk to the media right about anything that's related to the company without you know right having somebody that's a spokesperson do it
2: so and then you obviously have Porter Stansbury who's like a little bit higher up someone getting in trouble with the SEC
1: Stansbury's uh, an interesting character yeah um you know he's connected to like Dave Troy kind of connects Porter Stansbury to sort of like you know your Peter Peter Thiel's of the world, like right. you're kind of like libertarian wealthy people, right? Um, because Agora was published was uh, started by this guy named David Bronner, who's basically like his whole thing is kind of like, here's where you here's the things you should do to avoid U.S. taxes, right? Like for on your money, so it's like buying property in certain jurisdictions that are tax favorable and blah blah blah. Uh, and you know Bronner's like connected to William Rees-Mogg the former editor of the, what the London times or whatever Um, father of the time of William or Jacob rees mogg, the uh, like current, I don't even know if it's still current. I I guess I don't know. As of this recording, he was the like minister for Brexit affairs or whatever. Um, And did it? Yeah. So, but there's like, so it's like, you know, he's just like drawing it back to all this connection of people who are like more, more like, um, you know, I guess libertarian sort of leaning like, like, uh, like uh, William Reese Mogg was like saying, okay, well, you know, eventually the government's going to collapse um, and it's just going to be everybody for themselves and right. here's how you should prepare for this. Him and uh, somebody else who like was also connected to Bronner, like. They wrote a book called The Sovereign Individual mm. in 1997. Uh, and that's basically what it's about. It's like, oh, every, you know, like all the, the all the government, All those sovereign
3: citizen
2: peoples who are like, well, actually I don't need a driver's license. <laughs> I thought that's
1: where it was going to go, but I don't think that it's actually that. I think yeah. that's like a more, uh, more philosophical. Yeah. It's more like a, the, the governments are going to collapse and you're going to have to like take care of yourself kind of a thing. And here's how you should prepare for Like that. Thomas
2: Hobbes, the Leviathan
1: yeah okay it took me a minute to remember this but yeah
2: the fucking leviathan which is like kind of the basis of all that which is that like you need one benevolent leader i don't know whatever the fuck yeah it's fucking. this is like fucking 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 pop Pop, what are you doing? You're adjusting your balls. Just
1: adjusting my shorts. Uh,
2: Pop-sci fucking philosophy, political philosophy 101 in college. I don't remember anything.
1: Beavers, you should see when we're recording. We're if I so... stand up, Art's face is immediately washed with fear. <laughs> well, I think you're about to charge at me.
2: You look a lot like a large boar standing on its hind legs, ready to charge. Feral hog trying to protect its, I don't know what. There's
1: couple... 30 to 50 of me out in the front yard. <laughs> I got to get my AR. If only Art has AR.
2: I <laughs> could you down those Andes, those feral Andes. <laughs> no, but um, anyway, um, um, he, Porter S- Salisbury Steak is an interesting guy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Why would he offer him the job and then murder him <laughs> like a couple of months later? That seems kind of weird.
1: The These connections to, to, to Stansbury, I'll be honest. It's like it's so tenuous in my mind. Yeah if i'm being if i'm being very honest where it's just like oh yeah stansbury's connected and he's like believes in all this stuff and like you know i guess it's like but he offered his friend a job yeah and it's it's sort of like you know i think people think that like stansbury gets connected to this world through Bronner, who founded agora mm-hmm. because it's like stansbury was working for some company in florida mm-hmm. and Bronner bought the company cuz it was going under And they bought the the assets of the company, and then fired everybody except for two people, and one of those people was Porter Stansbury. So then he, which is pretty normal. So then he moved Stansbury to Baltimore. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it. And you know, I think people just start to say like, "Oh, okay." You know, there's this big conspiracy that they're involved in, and like Stansbury gets under the wings of one of the leaders, and then he becomes into it, and it's like, I mean, it's all very tenuous. There's no proof for any of that. It's just that people are now are suspicious of of the people that run Agora and are suspicious of Porter Stansberry just in general, um, because he comes off as kind of a crook, I guess, because... Well, yeah, he got in trouble with the SEC. It's just like the nature of the business that he's in is like, oh, I'm selling you stock tips. He's slimy. Yeah, he's kind of slimy, and he's, you know... But he offered his friend a job. He offered his
2: friend a job. What was Ray doing? Do we know what Ray was doing? Uh, Ray, like an entry level position? Did he give him something?
1: Yeah, Ray. Ray Ray was doing initially writing a. He was like the writing a uh, newsletter because that's the whole thing of Agora. It's like lots of newsletters, which sounds like such an outdated fucking business model to me. Like looking at it now, it's like who gets newsletters? Um, but at any rate, I mean, do you get a newsletter? I get lots of newsletters. Okay, well, maybe people still like them. I love a
2: newsletter. Okay, well there's sub a big thing now okay. i don't know if they're doing Substacks, but you can get like i had one for uh like s- certain software stuff and then uh i subscribed to one for database management
1: jesus <laughs> all right well maybe i'm a shithead
2: but kind of are industry newsletters there's the tennis pod newsletter yeah it's a great one <laughs> you can sign up for that one I do read that Radio Public used to do a great I think they were called Radio Public a great newsletter that was amazing so good in fact that from the fucking Mr. Bunker fucking email I emailed them and I said where the fuck did this newsletter go why did you guys stop pushing it out it was amazing for podcasters I don't know if you could still get it
1: it had so many resources I looked forward to it every week wow I like a newsletter okay I mean beefers, let me know if I'm a shithead do you like newsletters yes you or you gotta no? get out of this newsletter check game. yes or no and Medium. you got to make a decision. <laughs> you can get so much clickbait bullshit. you got to find the good ones. Yeah. So they do newsletters yeah. at Agora. Uh, where were we going with this before I got out of they the They do top? newsletters. What was, what was the whole thing? Ray was writing newsletters. Oh, right. Ray was writing a newsletter. So he was writing this newsletter called the Rebound Report. And the whole idea of it is that he was trying to let people know about companies that the stock had been performing poorly, mm-hmm. but that were poised to make a bounce back. And the stock would go up, so it's kind of like a buy now when it's at its low price. You buy the dip. You buy the dip. So he's trying to get people. And then to you buy got the dip. those fucking diamond hands. Yeah, you hold. You hold. I forever <laughs> never sell. <laughs> uh, so, so he was doing the rebound report, and that's what he got hired to do at Pirate Investor. Was okay, the this wasn't report. like a relationship
2: advice column where it's about rebounding after a breakup.
1: No, no. Okay, although there were. You know, he did get confused and there was, write a couple of those. Yeah, but so he didn't like doing this job because he's not a he's not a finance guy, right? And so a lot of the companies that were featured on the rebound report didn't actually rebound. Like his tips turned out to be kind of shitty, right? Because but Agora Stansberry kind of just liked to hire eclectic people to work there, people who were willing to like work hard and think differently about stuff, and then he would just assign them to different things. So. Yeah, he's it. got
2: this friend. He's like, you know what? Ray's a writer. He's fucking let's hire a guy who does script writing and see if he can do he'll maybe his newsletter will take off. Yeah. Exactly. And it'll be interesting and different from how people read other stock tip newsletters. Right, exactly. Because the way Ray writes. I can I can totally see that.
1: But he's not good at picking the companies. So yeah. the rebound report is like not actually giving people really good advice. And right. Ray's feeling very stressed about it. He's it's not what he likes doing. He's not enjoying himself. And so he decides that he's going to start a video production company, his own video production company. So he does that. He starts, he goes out and like invests in video production equipment and all this stuff. And that's when he stops working for Porter Stansbury and then starts doing like contract work. And that, it, like, he's working for the Oxford Club as a contractor, then basically. And then he gets this company. call, goes, oh shit. Yep. Gets a call from the Agora Switchboard. So it could have been related, it could have been related to his former job that he'd only stopped a few months before it could have been related to his current job the Oxford Club but we know maybe he we,
2: lost his contract I all, don't know
1: all we know is it's somebody from Agora and that's all we know and that's like there's Agora and then there's a bunch of other companies that do all kinds of different publishing things that are under there could have been anybody from any of those companies so yeah maybe it's about his contract with the Oxford Club uh, the 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 it seems like he was had a a deadline approaching. Like he was working on some video work for uh, the Oxford club. Uh, Like he had, he had recently recorded their, um, their annual meeting that they do. And he was supposed to like put it together with some other stuff to like send to people who couldn't go to the meeting. They pay this like in extra to their subscription to get this video package. So he had this deadline looming, to do all that work. Um, so some people have hypothesized like maybe he's just really stressed out about that looming deadline, but does it lead him to commit suicide? I don't know. And I guess like drawing it all back is like some people think that like, even though Ray's not super deep into this like world necessarily that he has too much knowledge of it because of his friendship with Porter Stansberry Then there's also his
2: possessions strewn about the roof. Yeah. I did have possessions
1: on the roof. The roof. How do you say it? The roof. Roof. On the roof. The roof. The roof. The roof.
2: Now I'm reading reading comments off of Reddit, which is like I might as well just be fucking reading scribbles on the inside of the bathroom stall. But um, it's, you know, the people are saying like, oh, well, the 9-11 memorial has... Possessions dropped by the people who jumped out the windows and those things are still intact. And I'm kind of like, I don't know. I guess I don't in theory believe that, but well, I don't know how those things get there.
1: Get there in that spot. Yeah. Because, you know, people say like his phone would have been in his pocket probably. His lucky penny.
2: Apparently he had a lucky penny. Was still in his pocket. He had his a, money clip was never found. Where'd that go?
1: He had a penny with a heart cut in it, and that was like a gift from him and Alice from Allison. And she told him like, you know, anytime you feel like this when is they, what you're worth when they were living. A penny that can't be used for anything. Yeah, a federal crime,
2: defacing <laughs> currency. Yeah. Hello, every zoo in America. Those those fucking flattened pennies. You're committing felonies. I don't know. Is that a Art felony? hates fucked up currency. I hate fucked up currency. I need 51% of this bill to be legal tender. But to tell you what, I'd like to have a porterhouse porter steak berry that's legally tender. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> nice tender porter steak berry. Yeah.
1: I didn't know what you mean. You know... I love getting money fresh from the mint though. It's just barely legal tender. <laughs> uh, no, but oh, she God. gave him this penny and she was like anytime you're feeling sh- stressed or alone because they were apart for a long time. It's not yeah. a long time, but a little while. He had moved to Baltimore, she was still in California, so she trailed like 6 months after him basically to That's move to Baltimore. That's a long time. Yeah. They had a long distance relationship for a, a bit. A lot of stress. And so, you know, she's, you know, at some point she gives him this penny and is like, you know, if you ever need to think of me like can have this penny with you and it's like i'm with you and so it's been hypothesized again it's like it could be just what's written on the bathroom wall but that the thing that he forgot to take with him was that penny when he left the house initially the day that he disappeared that he came back to get the penny because he forgot it
3: Hmm. but yeah that was found on his person
1: but it didn't come out of his pocket Still in the pocket. And all those other shit did. Yeah. But why, you know, it's like the flip-flops. Okay. I guess I can see that they might fall off, but it's like, why would they land right there? Like flip-flops aren't like heavy. Wouldn't they kind of like float a little flutter? What? Would a flip-flop just fall straight? Yeah. From that height? Or would it flutter at all? It would fall. Okay.
2: Especially depends on the kind of flip-flop. I'm not talking like dollar one dollar old Navy flip flops. I'm imagining he's wearing like athlete flip flops, which are usually those Nike ones that have one strap. You know those ones oh. that every fucking pro athlete wears Yeah, all the athletes in college would wear to them. Good point. Those are
1: heavier. Yeah. A little more robust. Maybe it would fall straight. But I could see how a flip flop would come off your foot.
3: It's the phone and the sunglasses that get me. Yeah. And then I don't.
2: Then there's this other thing all about in this Reddit post. That's like, Oh, organic material going through a roof. Like, don't look it up. I wish I didn't, but there's lots of research about what it looks like when organic material, he keeps calling bodies, organic material.
1: Which is like, God, I'm fucking rolling my eyes (laughs) so hard. They're going to fall into the back of my throat. (laughs) What it looks like when organic material falls through the roof. I just fucking hate whenever anybody's like, whatever you do, don't Google this thing. It's like, Jesus fucking Christ. Shut the fuck up. Just tell me what fucking sick thing you found or don't. Like, I don't give a fuck. I'm not going to go Google it because I don't have fucking time for this. You stupid internet fucking troll. (laughs) Get out of your mom's goddamn basement and do something, you fucker. <laughs> piece of shit. Don't Google organic matter going through a roof. How about I, I Google organic matter going through your fucking skull, you ding dong?
3: You ding dong. <laughs>
2: you hate this fucking You guy. fucking Reddit
1: loser. Fuck you. You Reddit loser. Neck beard piece of shit. Don't Google this. I wish I hadn't. I wish I hadn't. Yeah, I wish I'd never seen your comment. I didn't even see it. I only heard about it secondhand, and already I feel like I got cancer from it. Fuck you.
0: (laughs) Jesus Christ.
2: I don't know why this is setting you off so much, but it's like, God damn. Don't Google
1: bodies going through roofs. Why would I? I don't know. Who's just Googling that? Oh, I wish I wouldn't have Googled bodies going through Well, because he's saying it was so gross, the stuff that he saw. He yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah, imagine. Imagine that, bodies going imagine through Imagine that. Imagine me Googling gunshot wounds and being like, Jesus, fuck. There's a bunch of gross shit on there. I'm going to Google most horrific leg injuries in history. Oh my god, it's disgusting Look at these pictures Oh fuck I didn't know this is what I'd get A man coming into a dead horse's eye socket Oh god Why is that existing? Why is that so gross? I had no idea I thought this would be safe for work
2: <laughs> Getting exactly what you asked for and then being upset about it Oh I know what you mean, but it's like, he's talking about how like, it's not, the point. it's not, I guess it's not the hole in the roof and like the way that his body was, it's not like, it doesn't line up. I think this, this Redditor is saying that he was murdered, but he can't tell who it wasn't Porter and it was definitely not a suicide. So then it was somebody, but it's like, I, Hmm. I don't
1: know. They're just saying that it doesn't make sense based on the crime scenes. Yeah. Well, and one thing too, this is worth mentioning is that a lot of people kind of shit on the, the Baltimore police Mm -hmm. because Baltimore PD basically approached this as a suicide. And, you know, as we've seen with other cases like Kurt Cobain, Mm -hmm. when police think it's a suicide, they don't do a lot of other stuff that they would normally do if they suspect that it's a homicide. So they they approached this, and it's like initially they just go, yeah, this is a suicide. So, you know, people are saying, uh, like I think Makita Brotman even said that from her window she could see the police investigating, and like just that they, you know, they didn't seem phased by anything, like one guy picked up Ray's flip-flop with his bare hands on the roof and like threw it down at one of the other police inside and like hit him in the head, and they were laughing about it you know how it's just like they're not they're not taking precautions with this evidence they're not even seeing it as evidence they're just seeing it as like the aftermath of a suicide so yeah they probably didn't do as much investigating as they could have
2: and the same but on the other side of the heart-shaped penny um you know there's we didn't we didn't really bring up the the nightclub that was there right there's a nightclub that's did you bring that up or i was not paying attention
1: No, I didn't bring that up. There's
2: a nightclub that's near where the the roof with roof access that people also say he could have jumped from.
1: Yeah, there's a nightclub on the 13th floor. So it's like at the top of the at the top of the Belvedere. Mm. Now, I don't know for sure if the nightclub was open when in 2006 or if that's a more modern thing. Um, But yeah, there's a 13th floor nightclub. I think it's called the 13th floor. So here's what here's what a writer. What's the goalie doing said? He killed himself. He was from
2: a highly conservative Catholic family, worked in economics, was away from his wife for large amounts of time, was spectacularly unsuccessful at getting his dream job as a script writer, and ended up dying, shockingly, at the location of a gay nightclub where the only relatively public access to the roof of the building. With the only relatively public access. Conspiracy theories are cool and all, and you've put in a lot of work, but I think a lot of the theories that people are coming up with decide to not focus on Ray as a person, rather... Focusing on the minutia of a purported secret or hidden messages like his script writing brainstorms or inventing Masonic machinations or unfounded assertions about suffering from some Truman Show esque delusion. That's, um, that's, I mean, that's a fucking Reddit comment right there for sure. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so. I don't know, Andy. I, I, I don't. If we uncovered everything enough here to get to verdicts, so or like, what's the deal? Is
1: there anything else you want to talk about, Art?
2: I don't know. This is a tough one. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of, there is a lot of minutia. We could sit here and draw fucking physics diagrams all day long. But I think I have a verdict in mind that I feel comfortable with. Yeah. Okay. Let's hear it. So I think, given again, bunk vunkers, I'm listening to this secondhand. Andy's research secondhand. I haven't seen the unsolved mystery thing. You know, I kind of haven't. This isn't really me digging super deep myself into the research. Given what I've heard today, I think that I'm going plausible plus this was an unfortunate uh, suicide. I think that he did jump from some kind of ledge or roof access. He's got lacerations all over his body. I don't know what material the roof is made of could be very easy to break through the roof could be not you know roofs have layers not unlike an onion not unlike Shrek the ogre um I I think we approach a lot of these times with like we always go to like who is this person what was going on in this person's life what were they dealing with at the time we always go to that because it's like it, it tells me so much more and I, I am making a lot of assumptions when I say things like that but it's like dude We've lived a similar experience to this guy. We know what it's like to be rejected. We know what it's like to go after a dream and maybe not be as successful as you wanted. You know, not maybe at the level that Ray was at, but, you know, we were very unsuccessful at comedy. Have we mentioned that enough? Do the Bunk Funkers know how fucking bad at improv comedy we were and how unsuccessful we were? I never made a fucking house team to save my goddamn life. Um, You know, couldn't make one auditioned for millions of them millions. Couldn't even make one at the fucking playground. millions of auditions no disrespect to the playground but it was kind of like the starting point to get on a lot of house teams you could get on a playground build your resume and then go to the fucking io house teams couldn't even make the goddamn conservatory for christ's sake so very we unsuccessful couldn't, we couldn't
1: even make a thing where they charge
2: you <laughs> couldn't even make a thing where they make you pay money they said your money's not good here We don't want it.
1: You're so bad. We don't want you to pay us.
2: So we know what it's like, you know, and then again, apart from his wife, from this like very standard family, athlete, you know, all this stuff. And then it's like, dude, what am I doing? I'm not following my dreams. This is sort of the first, he's writing all this, he's doing brainstorming. He's researching. He's getting immersed in this world that he wants to write this like conspiracy game kind of movie. And so... He's getting too involved with it. Again, maybe like Todd Grande, Dr. Todd Grande kind of said it's some kind of um it's some kind of first first level psychotic break. I think that the Brett Brent Hotman incident. Brad Hotman. Bret Hotman. Hopman. Hopman. Was maybe his first like could have been like the first like ah uh, like what was he doing with that why did he want to go to his friend's apartment and inspect it from that high up that mm-hmm. like high up place like that's <clears throat> odd to me you know i yeah. would if somebody asked me that i would be like well why do you want to go to my like that would be such a big red flag so i don't know maybe he provided some reason or something but it seems like maybe he didn't he just wanted to go there yeah it's like okay well why but that's what i think um you know i'm not trying to mischaracterize anybody i'm not trying to do i know we joke about it but like fucking diagnosing people and then being like and this person needs therapy like therapy is just gonna you know like fucking fix everything for them but yeah you know it's like it's it's a kind of a maybe a shitty thing to do but you know, obviously we we say that in total jest when we say things like that but um you know so i i don't want to try and like put on like oh this is what was wrong with this guy case closed fuck it i'm only going plausible plus you know yeah there's still so much i think i need to explore with this topic that it maybe needs to revisit but that's my topic that's my
1: verdict and a good verdict it is I'm going to actually disagree with you though. Whoa. And I'm going to be a little bit stronger. I'm going plausible plus plus.
3: Whoa.
1: But I agree with you. I you did dug way more into the research than me. I mean, listening to Dr. Todd Grande talk about. And how wonderful it would be to listen to Dr. Todd Grande. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I sure would love it. Yeah. You can do it anytime you want. He's got a YouTube channel. That's very successful. Yeah. Uh, He's got a successful podcast. Mm. Interesting. You, uh, <laughs> uh, but listening to him talk about what it's like as somebody, well, I got to think about how to say this, but what it's like to be the family or friends of somebody who's experiencing a first level psychotic break. Yeah. It sounded very much like this situation because I think a lot of what you read initially about this case is people say like they summarize and they sort of go like Ray Ray's family doesn't think that it was a suicide because he was fine and everything was going great for him and blah, blah, blah. He had this good life and that all can be true. I think that when you start digging into it, like you said, there's a lot of layers here that Ray was experiencing some personal problems. And I think because his family loves him and they support him fully, I don't want to say they're brushing this stuff under the rug, but they're trying to justify it. They're trying right. to explain it. And so And it's it, very hard. That's, that's it's very it's hard. It's what for anybody would family. do right? It's very,
2: it's very normal. We're not blaming them.
1: Yeah. But you you see you see a loved one struggling and you try to think like stress at work, it could be this, it could be that. You want to explain it because you don't want to just say like I think it's just hard to to get to that point where you go like, oh, they have a mental problem. Like they have a mental health crisis that they're suffering. Um, But Ray has some of those telltale signs like unexplained paranoid behavior. Right. Like, like you know, I mean, Dr. Grande says stop short of saying like that Ray was delusional, but he said, certainly says like going to where his wife is jogging and then chasing dudes away. There are some there are some aspects of his thought and some things in the note that do seem delusional, in some ways, and that could be indicative of a delusional thought process. And it's like for his family, they've never experienced him like this before, and so it's you know like we talked about, it's totally unexpected, and they don't know what to do about it, and so they don't do they end up not doing really anything about it. Which is, again, a normal thing to probably do is that you you sort of think this will pass, right? But it's like things escalate and we don't know what's going on in, in Ray's mind. It's totally possible that maybe he did feel like he was part of some kind of weird scenario and like this was his way out. And like if you if you say, okay, he thought he was in the Matrix. Right. Like it makes sense to me that you might jump from the top of a building if you think you're in the Matrix and that's how you get out of it because that happens in the matrix. Right. That's like how Neo breaks the matrix is jumping from a building. He has survived. to believe. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. It it makes a lot of sense to me and the foul play and everything else I think it's just a lot more unsubstantiated. Uh there're definitely still some questions. That's why I can't go case confirmed. Like his injuries in some sense are a little bit strange. It's weird to think about like you said, pencil diving in through a roof and how did he break the roof? Um, but I ultimately, I think that he probably did somehow get access to the roof of the Belvedere and um, probably like one of the ledges. I don't think he was at the very top because just the physics of it then become very weird. Cause you have to jump a horizontal distance just to even clear the roof, right. let alone like getting to over where this is. So if you already go to the bottom of the mansard roof, like it's, it makes it a little bit easier. So I mean it's it's a strange set of circumstances and I don't fully understand that and I think that's why I can't be case confirmed but everything else points to it being like some sort of a suicide and and him experiencing some kind of a psychotic episode that just was untreated Those were our verdicts <laughs> Those were our fucking verdicts so yeah, they were. uh but let us know what you think beavers um we want to know what you think about this case um you know I have a feeling that everybody's going to chime in on the discord and tell us what a bunch of couple of fucking idiots we are right. and how this was clearly a murder. Right. Um so we want to hear about it. Uh you can tweet at us. Uh use the hashtag It's gotta be oops all Stansberries. <laughs> hashtag oops all Stansberries. It's gotta be. It's gotta be. <laughs> use the hashtag oops all Stansberries. Tell us what you think happened to Ray Rivera. Um you can uh, tweet at us, find us on Instagram at Mister MrBunkerPod. You can email us, bunkerpod at gmail.com. You can uh, get after us on the Discord for only one buck a month if you feel so inclined uh, and have the means to do so. You can consider becoming a patron of this show, patreon.com forward slash Mister MrBunkerPod. One dollar will get you into the Discord. Five bucks a month will get you access to the Discord, plus... All kinds of extra behind the scenes Patreon only content. We've got hours and hours and hours of extra content audio, video, newsletters. Uh, maybe, I don't know. They're if you still can actually, up there. You can still get them. You just got to get a Speaking go of fucking newsletters. Yeah, we had it used to have a newsletter. Um, it's too hard to maintain. <laughs> yeah, we are lazy. So uh, you can uh, check all that out at patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker Pod. Um, and I guess that's our episode. Art, do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to share with the beefers? Um,
2: yeah. I mean, this is a you know, this is a this is definitely a a peculiar mm-hmm. take, Bunkfunkers. I hope we did a good job of handling it with some modicum of respect. Although we do uh, pepper in lots of, I mean, you can't we can't help ourselves when we get any kind of reference to oops, all berries. It's just something. It's just part of the Bunker lore. It's a trope. We love it. We're always going to laugh at Oops All Berries. It's just very funny. There's nothing I can do about it.
1: So I'm sorry. It's just the whole thought the, at the factory, they made a mistake. And it was all Crunch Berries in the box. <laughs> and the tagline is Oops All Berries. Like, it's not like they named it Crunch Berries only. They named right. it Oops All Berries. Or like berry,
2: like berry Blast. Or like some goofy name. It's yeah. like they put the tagline and it's very sexual <laughs> and very silly. It's just like Oops like, I'm naughty. I'm a naughty captain. It's just funny. It's like Cap- it's
1: like Captain Crunch was holding a bowl of cereal and he wasn't wearing pants and he dropped it and he goes, "Oops."
2: I know. <laughs> it's just it's great. So that being said, you know, bunkfunkers again, if you ever want us to do a follow-up on this, we're open to that. And um
1: And yeah, that's it. That's it. All right, Beavers. Thanks for being with us again on another thrilling episode of Mr. Bunker's conspiracy time podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed consuming the, well, oh wait, I'm kind of doing this backwards. Aren't I? I'm making it my own. What the fuck are you doing? Jeez. I fucked up. Uh, okay. I'm, I don't have a word ready, so I'm just going to make one up on the top of my head. Um, so, well, that's what I do also. So this is me saying goodbye. (laughs) Not really
2: that unusual. Yeah, that's
1: true. You do have a very good vocabulary, right? Uh, so, uh, For not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my greasy (laughs) co-host, Art Stone, I'm Indy Hart saying that was the whole enchilada. Oops. All
2: podcast. What are you doing, step podcast? Oops. All outro music. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yummy. (laughs)